0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, March tenth, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I was thinking about March the tenth being the good morning, Rev. Good morning. I was thinking about March the tenth being the last um, day of the week. Uh, my daughter's birthday is Sunday, and I told you the other day. Um, you know, she always said her birthday was March and twelve. No, March the twelfth. No, March and twelve. She'll be um, That's cute. Uh, yes, yeah, she's got two more days as a teenager. Um, made her way home late yesterday afternoon from Mexico. Good. and yeah, Amen. <laughs> i tell you, man, I watched <clears throat> Fox a little bit this week because of Tucker, and Jesse Waters has had, I mean, he did an entire show almost on the dangers of the Mexican drug cartel at the same time my daughter's in Mexico. And it freaked me out. And I sent instructions after instructions after instructions. And um, she's like, you know how old I am? I said, yeah, not, not old enough to know how the world
1: works. I'll assure you of that. Um, and and, and you just go ahead. Now you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and there's a there's a terrible tragedy that really hits close to our area uh, regarding Mexico and 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 murder uh, of some of our local citizens. That is just oh, those drug cartels. That is so terrible and heartbreaking.
0: But as Gosh. part of that story, Rev, I'm not. I know the story you're talking about, and it is terrible and tragic. But as part of that story, um, I mean, we're the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. I mean. We're the shining city on a hill. Uh, we're the, let me get the words here. You ready? I can go back to the article I read yesterday. And some of this is my words. You ready? We're the most generous. We're the exceptional nation. We're a nation that sets aside its interests for the benefit of the world. We're an important source of good. We're constantly shouldering the heavy responsibility to protect the international system and the weak nations from bad actors. But we have residents driving to Mexico for health care because the system in America is too expensive. That's pretty odd. I mean, yeah. it, well, I mean, I understand the drug cartels, and, and they misidentified a van as a rival, I guess, drug cartel dealer or or coyote or runner or whatever you call those people on the border and um, and individuals from Lake City. I think two were still alive, two are dead, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, the cartel apologized yesterday. I mean, imagine that the cartel apologizing that innocent Americans were killed. Um, I guess the apology is. Because some of the conversation out of Washington has involved military action. Lindsey
1: Graham especially has been very vocal. Well, I mean, of course. Um, yeah. Have bombs, we'll drop. Use the, use Have the military. rockets, we'll send. Yeah. But um, didn't President Trump say something about using military force against the cartels? But he got ridiculed it was, for saying it was, it.
0: it. was one of the crazy ideas that Trump came up with. Yeah. I mean, Trump said, we know where they are. I mean, all the intelligence gathering we do, we know where some of these um, manufacturing and distribution facilities are that the cartel depends on. Why don't we take military action? Oh no, no, no! You can't do that. That's not a foreign adversary. But I mean, how's fentanyl not a foreign adversary? Are you more concerned this morning at six ten about your kid dying from the um, the onward march of communism or fentanyl? I mean, it's it, it's just odd the way we run this John Brown country. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I want to spend a good bit of time today um, talking about finance. I mean, there's some interesting numbers out there. Uh, we talked a lot about QAnon Shaman, rightfully so. It, it appears to me that there are Republicans with legislative authority and uh, lawmaking abilities that could reopen the January 6th investigative committee. They could um, try to find out whether QAnon Shaman, Jacob Chansley, is lawyers telling the truth. And if he is, um, and the government withheld exculpatory evidence
1: there's a chance that this um I, I don't know Rev this case could be reopened I, I I was following along yesterday on a related note and subject uh, your tweet response to George Conway and Liz Cheney's tweet chain and at last time I looked there were over thirty two thousand views on your response yeah and there there's like 40 something comments. And they're just ripping you to shreds. Yeah, thank you, Rev. It, it's great. Well, thank it's funny. It is. It is it's fun. Well, I mean, he, he that doesn't right.
0: bother you, does it? No, not at all. I mean, Yeah, well, I got aggravated about one thing. They said I was guilty of seven ethics violations. It's 17. Get the number right. <laughs> yeah. It's not seven. It's 17 ethics violations. 13 were cups of coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> I, I right. do like that. I do have a place in my heart for that skinny cinnamon dolce latte. <laughs> I'll whisper it when I order it. Right. Because I look around and uh, give me one of them skinny cinnamon dolce latte. <laughs> give it's another a, name. Do what? Do what? This good old boy wants a skinny cinnamon doce latte, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> okay. Um, but but no, you, you've you advised me, and I listen to you. I mean, you don't listen to anything I say, but I listen to a lot of what you say. Um, You're a okay. credible voice in my ear. Okay. So you've you've led me to believe that you think part of this multifaceted media empire we're in the process of constructing requires being a media influencer. I mean, in essence, that's yeah. what I would be called today. Right. But I know I'm a, I'm a radio show host and uh, now a podcast host and um and you know Twitter activist so to speak. But at the end of the day, um, the way you monetize any of these formats or, or mediums is to influence. Uh, we, we are a media influencer. So yesterday or the day before, that would have been Wednesday. Um, Liz Cheney basically said in a tweet, um, uh, from her personal Twitter account, if the Republicans wanna reopen. The January 6th Special Committee, bring it on. Because I mean, she's big bad Liz Cheney. Oh yeah, uh, from uh, Wyoming. Well, I think she just got a job at Yale as a professor. Might have been peeing. What are the Ivy League schools? Uh, we're smitten with her. It's kind of interesting. Liberal America smitten with Dick Cheney's daughter.
1: How much do
0: you have to hate Trump, right, to be smitten with Dick Cheney's daughter, the warmonger with no heart? Um, but now, all of a sudden, you know, she's at odds with Trump, and that's good enough. For the American left, so um, so Cheney tweets that um, if the Republicans want to reopen the January 6th commission, bring it on. George Conway retweets with with his um comments of I'm with anti-Trumper. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm with her, and he's he's currently, I think. I mean, they have a legal marriage. I think they're separated, but Kellyanne Conway, who helped Donald Trump, it's a little bit like Mary Matlin. And James Carville. Right. I mean, apparently Matlin and Carville have been able to hang on, you know, all these years despite these different um, jobs that, you know, Carville worked for Clinton for a long, long time at the DNC for a while. Matlin worked for the Bushes and some of the neoconservative elements. I think she may have even worked for for Reagan, if I'm not mistaken, I uh, or was involved in some of the campaigns. More campaign related than administration. Carville would be more campaign related than administrative. But um but George Conway retweets Liz Cheney's tweet and says I'm with her, and I tweeted a soon-to-be divorced man and um, recently unelected member of Congress, a recently defeated member of Congress, walk into a bar. Dot 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 dot. Funny, yeah. i trying to add a little humor yeah, to the um. It was funny to the to the vitriol and the animus. Tried to add a little humor, and they laid into me, and I'm talking about one liberal after the <laughs> other after the other. After the. You triggered him a little bit but with the, that one for I, I some think reason. I did. Apparently, I did. As you said, there's over 30,000 uh, views of that tweet, uh, but it's comment after comment. And I mean, every now and then there's someone trying to help me, but there's not many. But you got to understand, I am, um, you know, Make America Great Again Republican or an America First Republican um, in that cesspool of George Conway and Liz Cheney. And, and what I like to do is eh, the, the most radical voices, those who say, you're, you're, I mean, they don't know me from Adam, and I don't know them. So, so I try to not be personal. I try to use a joke, somewhat of a humorous line involved with that. A, a soon-to-be-divorced man and a recently defeated former member of Congress walk into a bar. I mean, that's not insulting. It's sarcastic. I mean, there's no doubt it's sarcastic. But they laid into me, I mean, it was you are, I mean, you're, you're a moron. You're an idiot. You're a conspiracy theorist. People like you were the problem. I mean, it was one after the other. I mean, some of uh, after the other a whole
1: I mean, there's all kinds. Oh yeah, I mean, it, oh yeah. You, I mean, mean,
0: I can't, we can't repeat. Yeah, the, I mean, some of the uh, some of the language yeah. that the. Um, but it's just <laughs> not it's, nice. Well, <laughs> no, but but to the, say the, the least the left is angry. I mean, yeah. they accuse the right of being angry. We're not angry. I mean, yeah, we're angry. We're angry at the federal government. And there's been kind of a um. I mean, there's been a transformation of American politics. We're the hippies. I mean, we're the counterculturist. We're, we're the ones that don't trust the government. Isn't that weird? Well, I mean, I don't know that the hippies trust the government. Uh, they just despise Trump. And anything that is at odds with Trump, I mean, th- th- they are for. I mean, Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter, was public enemy number one of the American political left. And now they, 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 they revere, they celebrate, they admire, with the utmost respect, Dick Cheney's daughter. Why? Because she's not a Trumpster. I mean, she doesn't like Trump. Why does she not like Trump? Because she's an interventionist. She's a globalist. Her family makes a lot of money building bombs and dropping bombs on other nations around the world. I mean, it's not rocket science. And it's amazing to me how the—I mean, I understand. We, we've always argued that liberalism is not a coherent governing philosophy. I mean, i readily admit that populism is not a coherent governing fo- uh, policy. I think conservative government is. I mean, I really believe that. I think if you if you if you administer government in a responsible way, it's going to be conservative. It's going to be measured. It's going to be of um, kind of an even keel and and the right temperament. Populism is not that, but populism is accused of being um, you know, one of these fits and rages. Liberalism today in America is kind of equal to populism. It's based on emotion. How do I forget the facts? I mean, forget the facts. It doesn't matter about the facts, it's my feelings. How do I feel about Liz Cheney? Well, I did hate her, but she stood up to Trump. But what did she do standing up to Trump? I don't know. She just did. And that's good enough for me. What about George Conway? Yeah, I mean, I like George. Why do you like George Conway? I mean, do you know Conway's given 90% of his contributions to um, conservative candidates? Doesn't matter. He doesn't like Trump. He doesn't like Trump. I mean, it's the, um, the obsessed nature of this animus the left has toward Donald Trump, and even some of the right. I mean, some of the Republicans... I read, um, I read an article yesterday, and uh, it was kind of interesting. This, in a nutshell, tells me exactly where we are. That there are some, we talked yesterday, standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, such a fine sight to see, there's a girl, my Lord, in a flatbed Ford slowing down to take a look at me. I mean, you can't make that up. You know what I mean? That, that's like, that, that's, that's poetry. That's beautiful. That's, well, it's, it's almost scriptural. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, wow. I mean, there was some, uh, some providence involved in that. Now, I'm, I'm being a bit whimsical here, but a rock and roll ain't biblical, and I get it. But, I mean, nothing could be any more perfect than that. So, so here, you ready? I read this yesterday in the AP. <laughs> it touches every base. It covers every cranny. Um, McConnell, 81, is expected to remain in the hospital for a few days as he receives treatment for injuries sustained by his fall. The Kentucky senator was attending an evening fundraiser for the Senate Leadership Fund, a political action committee aligned with him when he tripped and fell. his office said. The dinner was at the Waldorf Astoria in Washington, D.C. I mean, just think of all the, I mean, there's there's a college course in that one release. So McConnell, who is 81, has no business in Congress, zero. He's 81 years old. Put him out to pasture. Put all the other 80 year olds out to pasture. He's expected to remain in the hospital for a few days as he receives treatment for his injuries. We know now he had a concussion, or we think he did, sustained by his fall. So he's 81, he falls. That's not unusual. How I about mean, 81 year old men and women fall? But they don't fall at a Senate leadership fund raising money for his political action committee. At about nine thirty or ten o'clock at night,
1: at the Waldorf Astoria, at the Waldorf Astoria
0: in Washington. Astoria. I mean, this is standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. <laughs> like, like, is there did, did sort of the AP just say, "Hey, give me that song that Glenn Frey wrote"? You know, that "Standing on the Corner." I want to make sure I cover every base there is. So, an eighty-one-year-old man who was in charge of one of the most influential political action committees in America, the Senate. Um, the, the Senate leadership fund is, I mean, you want to be on its good side? Ask Blake Masters about being on the bad side. Ask Dr. Oz about being on the bad side. Ask J.D. Vance about being on the good side. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful, um, political action committee. They're having a fundraiser at the Waldorf Astoria and McConnell, 81 years old, falls and has a concussion. Um, but we're the. The preeminent superpower of the planet. Everybody should allow us to dictate the terms and conditions of how we um, move government gradually through all of our um, all of our ecosystems. I do want to um, I want to concentrate today on some numbers. There's kind of an interesting um, case I want to elaborate on. I said something yesterday. A, a lot of you don't listen at nine. I get it. You're busy. You're working. We ain't that good. Um, so at 9:05, Ed McMullen came on the show, and Ed began to discuss this. Um, Ah, uh, this group he's involved with, and they're trying to allow referendums in different counties to sell booze on Sunday at about every discretion. In other words, the micro—we've we, got real confusing blue laws. You can buy here, but you can't buy there. You can buy then, you can't buy that. Uh, you can buy um, uh, this time of the day, you can't buy at that time of the day. It's real confusing. And um, and I said yesterday, you know, with all due respect, and I'm a—I mean, I'm a Bible. Uh, I mean, I have a biblical worldview. I was raised in church. I certainly understand the Sabbath. Now, the Jews say we got it wrong, but who's counting? Um, they say Saturday. We Christians say say Sunday. One of them days was special is what I'll say, and I don't mean to be um, uh, no, no blasphemy in there, but we're living in a different South Carolina. I mean, we're living in a very, very different South Carolina, and I, I guess the debate is, do we hold on to the old traditions and values or do we accept that times are different? Um, we're recruiting industry. When I was on County council in Florence County, we had to vote on a, um, a manipulating of the blue laws to allow QVC QVC work 24 seven. I'm mean, there, you know, uh, in and out of buildings. And there was some sort of language that their lawyers were uncomfortable with. I'm not talking about a paper mill I'm not talking about a um, you know a fiber industry that works 24 seven. I'm this this company did something that they were concerned about the um, the uh, the the letter of the law as it related to to our blue laws, and we had to do a kind of a special ordinance to to, to give comfort to their lawyers. I mean, in other words, they weren't. I'm not saying they wouldn't have come here, but they didn't want to come here and have a suit filed against them. So I remember um, we got to sit down with some lawyers, some county uh, officials. Some QVC personnel and we came to some sort of agreement that we didn't believe insulted so did the blue laws, but so much, but allowed them to gain comfort in that their activities and business and and I remember voting one day about it and folks in my church kind of you know they beat up on me a little bit about not being respectful enough of the blue laws. Um, that's kind of an interesting debate. Uh, where are we now as a as a state? Forget the country. We think we know where some of the less conservative states are. Where are we as a state? In regards to alcohol and Sunday. And Ed, I thought, did a good job talking about why we should embrace this opportunity and allow microbreweries, micro distilleries, um, other places that there's this big grocery store, convenience store. Um, but what they're basically doing is saying it's at the discretion of the county. If the county has a referendum and the voters of that county say, we don't have any problem with selling booze anywhere, anytime on Sunday, then. Um, that, that kind of, um, that preempts whatever the state legislation, um, says. It'd be interesting to watch these different counties and how they deal with it in their very different ways, but, but it kind of led me down the road of the coast. I mean, we've talked a lot over these airwaves about the coast and I gave, uh, when we teed it up for Ed to come on and, and say his piece, I, I gave some statistics and a couple of people told me yesterday, ain't no way, ain't no way. I'm not saying you make it, made it up, but you got it wrong. Um, but there ain't no way that many people are moving there. And I want to kind of go down the, um, because there's a Schiller shiller Index uh, report that came out toward uh, the end of last week, uh, really early this week, and I've held on to it for a few days because we've been really, really, really talking about who are the good guys in all of this, um, what if everything you told or been told all your life? Well, how did I wrote? Yeah, what if everything you've been told and want to believe is a lie? And I think we've done a pretty decent job for two and a half days of framing um, that debate. And we'll see where it leads. We'll see if, indeed, they reconvene the January 6th commission. But I want to spend just a period of time, a brief period of time, elaborating on not the blue laws or not. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. But let's go down uh, this Case-Shiller Index and apply it to uh, the growth in South Carolina. Back in a minute. This is when I get a little bit teachy, not preachy, but teachy. And, um, and can really bore listeners because I get so absorbed in in, in my own understanding, however entailed that may be. Um, I think I understand it more than most <laughs> when it comes to the Fed. I mean, I've read a lot about the Fed. I've tried to understand um, the Fed. I've got people in my world. and And here's my issue. And I think a lot of folks can relate to this. So I believe for a long time, if you put up money, a certain percentage of your income, you get a certain percentage of interest. And at the end of 20 or 30 or 40 years, you'd have X number of dollars because you made, it's the rule of 72. If you make 7%, your money doubles about every 10 years. You make 10%, your money doubles about about every seven years. So when you when you begin your 60th year on the planet, you start thinking about, I'm not 30 anymore. So, so you really begin to start, okay, let, let me think differently about what lies ahead. Now, I want to say this, and, I, and I've told our audience, I think that people like us, and I'm looking at Rev, I think that people like us, are going to have to work longer than we anticipated i just think we are i think the world is different i think the fed is so distorted financial reality um, i don't know that to be true if you win the 100 million dollar lottery who cares how long you work if you're a trust fund baby but most of us aren't most of us have made a little money we we made good decisions and bad decisions but I mean, i'm digging out from under one nail a bad decision um i didn't make it on my own but i was a part of making a bad decision and it just ain't working the way we thought it would, and uh, and it's going to cost us. There's no doubt about it. A couple of other good decisions over here. We think we'll um, you know, make up and more for the bad decision we've made. But but in the back of my mind, I always said, well, if you put up this much money a year and it gets this much interest, you know, you'll have this much money at the end. And it can subsidize. It can supplement. It can. Uh, you don't want to stop working, but I don't want to working when, when other people want me to work. I want to work when I want to work. I want to have some flexibility and, and freedom about my employment and my, you know, how much money it takes to keep my boat afloat. But, but I just believe, and, and, I, and I've been, I don't know, preaching this for five or six or seven years, Rev. I think the Fed has distorted the rest of my life. And by that, I think that we have become so dependent on the Fed's distortion. And I got a banker friend of mine that would never say, say this over the air, but I've asked him several times in some of our meetings, hey, man, you're a banker, I'm not. From a banker's perspective, explain some of my rants and diatribes. And he always answers with the same response. You know what he says, Reb? If they stop allowing them to counterfeit money and cut checks, we got big problems. I mean, this guy wow. is, a, is a very, very wow. serious banker who um, helps business people in this area live their dreams, pursue their projects, Um, fund whatever uh, heads their way. I mean, he's the kind of guy that needs to know, you know, what is the association between the Fed and the government and the private sector. And he always says, if they ever make illegal counterfeiting money and cutting checks, we've got a problem. I said, so everything depends on the Fed. Yes, everything depends on the Fed. And the reason I'm saying that is, remember last week when I said I went to the Wall Street Journal subscription page and logged in, um, had to get all fancy-schmancy and get a password. And, and I listened to the guy from the Southern Company. I think it's a Southern Company, one of the big energy providers in the Southeast. And he said, um, reacting some of the Fed comment, the Fed hadn't had their meeting yet. Jerome Powell makes everybody think now that he's going to have to raise interest rates higher than he originally anticipated. And the market's had a couple of really, really bad days. I think it's down, what, a 1,000 points in the last two days as a result of the Fed comments. So it's not about employment. It's not about worker productivity. It's not about the, the normalcies of the economy. It it's rather it's about what what is the Fed going to do? Is the Fed not going to give us money at zero percent? Because if the Fed doesn't give us money at one half of one percent, damn it, I'm mad and we can't make the money that we've made. And so many industries are dependent upon finance. And and debt and leverage. I mean the whole world to some degree is all about debt leverage and finance. Well, the the, the Fed seems willing to allow interest rates to rise um, and stop buying mortgage-backed securities. So when, when I said last week that the guy from the Southern Company said that he felt everybody in America was about to feel some pretty serious pain, except the South, except the South, COVID has led to this mass relocation of people. Uh, kind of a migration out of, uh, it is, I mean, just us be honest, I don't want to be political about this, but it's out of blue states into red states. I mean, I would say some of this is weather chasing. When people are coming to South Carolina from New Jersey, from Ohio, uh, from Pennsylvania, that they will always say that the weather down here is a lot better. I don't like shoveling snow six months a year. But so, so let's, let's, for argument's sake, let's say the guy from Southern Company knows what he's talking about. I mean, he's running one of the biggest utility companies in America. Um, and he says, yeah, I mean, the country is in for some really rough financial times because there's some serious headwinds uh, driven by the Fed and them raising interest rates, um, trying to address inflation, and, and you're raising rates in an inflationary period. So, so, so we're getting double whammy now. I mean, they, they've, maybe they've adjusted inflation to some degree, but it ain't been much. I mean, inflation is still rampant, and interest rates are now – higher than they've been since, what, 2007? I mean, we've had about 16, 17 years of, of really, really suppressed interest rates. But, but I began trying to understand the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Now, I'll give you a thumbnail. It's an index that, I mean, I think it's 20 markets, 10 metrics. Anyway, it's an index by two economists, uh, last name Case and Schiller. Imagine that. And, and out of that came a way to measure home inflation or deflation. Because once again, the Fed has decided not to only raise interest rates, but to not add any more mortgage-backed securities to their, to their portfolio. Well, um, 60% of the mortgage-backed securities that were auctioned last week were, were, were sold. 40% were kind of kept. Um, and, and the Fed, there's just not a demand on, on the private market for mortgage-backed securities. So so when that happened historically, the Fed would save the day and it kept the market stable. Where we're we're we're, seeing, we're beginning to see instability in the market. You're not seeing any. I mean, you're not going to see any rapid growth or price appreciation. But um, and, and I understand what the mortgage brokers are saying. My son's a real estate agent. I understand the the optimism that has to be. Um, I mean, it has to. I mean, you, you got to coach yourself up. You got to be positive about this. But but there's not much capitalism in the real estate markets. I'm sorry. It's all about the Fed. It's about um, suppressed interest rates and the Fed buying mortgage-backed securities, um, stimulus and subsidization from the central bank. I mean, that's something I wrote down. Uh, remember that stimulus and subsidization from the central bank. So, so when I hear the, when I read this, and I'm going, oh crap! I mean, that scares the daylights out of me because I'm in the in the market. You know what I mean? I'm in um. And I'm talking about real estate. I'm in the real estate market, so I'm worried about interest rates. I'm worried about, you know, um, residential locations or re- residential um, construction permits. And yesterday when Ed came on the air and, and I said that number, a couple of people challenged me. And here's the number I said. So the guy in the Southern Company says that we're not going to see a big problem or a big slowdown in the South because post-COVID people are leaving other parts of the country coming to the South. Uh the west is experiencing some of these um realities. In other words, people are leaving some of the um I don't know the 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 eastern corridor, heading out west. And but but most are coming down south. So I began kind of kind of plundering around. Got a buddy and and in, in, in the um I mean he's in the appraisal business, but he understands all of this stuff a lot more than I do. So I was talking to him about, "Hey man, here's what I'm reading." I mean, you know, here's what I'm trying to understand. He told me, and this goes back to the comments yesterday at 9.05, he told me South Carolina's got 46 counties. Horry County is responsible for 25% of all residential building permits issued in the last two years, Seven thousand, roughly 7,000 per year in Horry County, South Carolina, um, about 2,000 multifamily permits per year. Uh, This is per my friend. I don't have the data in front of me, but he's never misled me before. So there's kind of an application, 2.3. You got 2.3 people per permit, Uh, a man, a wife, and a child, maybe a child, maybe it's just one. But anyway, it it is about 2.3. So if you got 9,000, let's say that some of these are empty nesters, some are second homes. Let's knock that 2.3 down to two. That's still 18,000 people a year moving into Horry County. 18,000 people per year. So how do you have an economic slowdown in a state where one of its counties are adding 18,000 people per year? Now, I don't believe it's all coming from New Jersey. I believe this has happened, Reb. I think people have uh, moved from New Jersey to North Myrtle Beach, stayed there four or five or six years, look around and say, damn, this is as crowded as New Jersey is, (laughs) and are beginning to move to Merrell's Inlet. And, I mean, you get into Georgetown County, we talk about Litchfield and Pauly's Island. And it's just interesting. It's so mm-hmm. interesting to me what's happening along the coast of South Carolina. And when Ed McMullen's talking about selling booze on Saturday and you look at South Carolina as in an honest perspective, I'm talking about being fair-minded about who we are today. This ain't your grandmother, South Carolina. I mean, this is not the South Carolina. I mean, yeah, we still have a Baptist church on every street corner. There's no doubt about it. We are... As churched as anybody in America, uh, I, I don't know what the per capita is, but I would imagine South Carolina's in the top five of of number of citizens and number of churches that that, that open their doors every Sunday morning. But what's happening along the coast is, is crazy to me. And here's the question: Can what's happening along the coast sustain um, its upward trajectory if the Fed continues to raise rates? If the if the Fed continues to pause buying mortgage-backed securities um the short and long answer is I don't know I don't have any idea but but you know how much I love these scratch your head you know economic matters and this is definitely without question one of the scratch your head economic uh, matters let's go to the phone someone's there
1: William in McCall good morning William good
2: morning uh Dave Ken um you know y'all talking about tax and that they raising
3: on business people.
2: Uh they why don't they uh tax the money that they make on their stock that they that they get inside a trader on? Why not say uh 50% of what they make on stock be taxed?
0: Uh. Thank you, William. Appreciate that. Well, there is in the uh, in the six point nine budget proposal from Biden, I think the day before yesterday and then yesterday they went into more specifics and details. He wants to treat capital gains as earned income. I mean, he wants capital gains to go from, what, 20% today? Is it 15 or 20? But he, he wants 50. to raise the capital gains rates 39.6%, which would be like a high-income earner. Um, that ain't going to fly. I mean, there, there's no way in Hades that the Republican House will ever go for that, but that's his proposal, and his spending number is point uh, 6, two three what did it, uh, 6.9. But it does raise the revenue number by about a trillion dollars. I mean, it gets the revenue number somewhere north of – of six trillion, I'll look that up maybe during the next break. But um eight four three six six one zero nine three seven our number. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. When a banker will tell you <laughs> about the economy, if they ever make kiting checks and counterfeiting
1: money illegal, <laughs> and the Fed has to play by the same rules everybody else does. The music may indeed stop. I tell you, the number that still blows my mind is 25 percent of the residential building permits in the state in Horry County. That's from a guy that keeps
0: up with this a lot more than I do. Wow. That that is. Well, I mean, I'll be I knew it was a high percentage. I never imagined it would be 25. I mean, I know what's happening down there because I'm telling you that there. If you if you if you stop your car, somebody will load it with lumber and ask you to drive it to a job <laughs> site. I mean, that's how fast construction. Is happening along the coast, Ori County would be more something I'm more familiar with would be Ori and Georgetown. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the
1: PD. Good morning.
4: Well, your friend is a hundred percent right on the number of building permits. Uh, actually, I think it's approaching eight thousand um, from 2022. Uh, we'll see how many of them get finished. You know, the supply chain still slows the building some. Yep. So, um, but the nice thing is, is that for the next two years there'll be some commercial growth that will lag behind that that residential increase even if uh, it's not sustained but I I can promise you it will be sustained Uh, we will we will stay upwards of 5,000 building permits I think potentially for the next 10 years I think there'll be 50,000 new people or a hundred thousand new people or more in Ori County over the next 10 years and without saying much more than
0: that, you know I have that on good authority. Well, so, let me ask you this though, Larry. You're a lot more familiar, and you probably know. I mean, if I, I call you and text you, who the guy is, because you, I mean, he does this for a living. You do some of that for a living. But but I want to I want to ask you this: Can can Ori is Ori County equipped to accommodate that long <laughs> a period of that much growth?
4: Well, here is the the short answer: uh, Nobody is, but. What it's going to come down to is there's going to become a clash of realities between the, the high cost of infrastructure growth in an inflationary period with the high demand for the growth of infrastructure and a strongly conservative Republican county council who is going to be very hesitant to raise taxes when that's exactly what they're going to have to do. So the, we'll see uh, is the answer. Um you know, if you've got enough money, you throw enough money at anything. I mean, you know, the federal government will show you that, right? You want a bridge, here's a bridge. You want a dam, here's a dam. You want a road, here's a road. But uh, they do it with deficit spending. Uh, we can't do that. So um, it's going to be the political will of the council to decide it because growth costs money and 4% residences do not really pay for all of the services that they demand and the commercial growth isn't here yet. So they're going we're going to be in a crunch. And uh, I can tell you that the employees and the departments in Horry County are feeling the demand crunch. There's more people on the phone. There's more people wanting building permits. There's more people that need surveys. There's more people that need uh, deeds drawn up. There's I mean, there's a lot of economic activity that comes out of that. And I would say that Horry County is straining a bit at the seams to keep up. But the demand won't change. I mean, that coast isn't going anywhere, that river isn't going anywhere, that sand isn't going anywhere, and that sun isn't going anywhere.
0: What about impact fees, Larry? Is there is there been any serious conversation about impact fees?
4: Well, Arie County has an impact fee.
0: Explain that uh, if you don't mind.
4: So the impact fee basically is a fee that's charged on, uh, on a sliding scale based on square footage and use for certain residential and commercial improvements. And the idea being that, uh, because the taxes don't quite cover enough, then we're going to charge an impact fee when you pull your building permit to cover that extra charge of, you know, the strain that you put on the infrastructure. Um, but again, in a very conservative County where people are hesitant to raise a fee, a fee feels a lot like a tax to a Republican. and, And I will tend to agree with that statement. So, um, it may have been negotiated down to a number that does not actually do what it purported to do. It doesn't raise perhaps enough money. And then in an inflationary period, you know, you set that fee three years ago, and then you've got this massive inflation on asphalt and labor. And, you know, so it's probably not quite high enough. So somewhere this financial reality of we're not charging enough is going to set in. Another problem with impact fees is it is so regimented and so specific. You can't hire, um, you know, uh, new employees in some areas with an impact fee. It can only go to things like infrastructure. So, yeah, you, you may be able to get the money to build a new intersection, but you may not have enough people on payroll to go build it. So, and, and, and I'm probably simplifying that a bit, but it is very restrictive in what it can be spent on. And mostly it's it's physical things it's it's not you know you can't build uh like a new library you have to build
0: gotcha. a new intersection gotcha so, thank, thank you larry good inside look my man appreciate i'm um, larry calling in and um confirming um what what my guy told me I have a lot of these guys that tell me certain things and some know what they're talking about and some don't here it's kind of a sliding scale i mean i know i don't want to beat this dead horse but uh, a property in north myrtle beach and i'm rounding off here property in north myrtle beach half a million dollars in Pawleys, it's a million. In Charleston's it's just a million and a half. In Kiowa, it's two million. <laughs> that's kind of the, um. I mean, that's the um. That's the back of napkin valuation of property. Um, as you slide further and further south, it gets more and more. On average. I mean, obviously, it's not across the board. Take a break. Back in a minute. Got another lawsuit to the uh, Biden student loan scheme that I think has standing. Probably a better chance to have standing than either of the state's cases that the Supreme Court heard, what, last week? I think toward the yeah. end of last week. Um, don't know how that went. Have not read the transcript. Have not listened to any, any of the oral argument. I may try to do that over the weekend. But there's another lawsuit that the courts will probably eventually have to deal with that involves a, um, a refinancer, SOFI, is I'm um, saying. They've got standing.
1: Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Breeze. Good morning. Hey, what's up,
5: guys? You know, I'll tell you, man. These Yankees that are coming down here, they're, they're like a cancer. Nobody wants them. They come anyway. Now, some of them are more like a, a cold. You don't really want it, but you can live with it. But I'm telling you, most of them are godless. There's some of them that are, that do think like we do, but the bottom line is they are a totally different species than we are.
0: But, Breeze, they do they vote like – but I understand they think different. I get that because I bump into them in parties a lot. Do they vote like we do?
5: Some of them do, some of them do. But I'm telling you right now, guys, um, we were living here in Mount Pleasant, and there was—I mean, I almost wish you could go back to the days where everybody was kind of broke and people—and if you were comfortable, you were lucky. But I'm telling you right now, the quality of life in Mount Pleasant is probably no better than New Jersey. As of right now, it's still a pretty safe town, Mount Pleasant. But if you cross the bridge into Charleston, you can get murdered right there on King Street any time, day or night. North Charleston, the same way, you can get murdered any time, day or night. Uh, We moved to and uh, to get away from them, and we aren't there a week, and we find out that they're trying to build 900 houses around us just that quick. And and, I, and, I, and they aren't good old boys moving from Paplico down over here. I'm telling you right now, there's going. It, to it, at the point now. And here again, even if there is a quality of living, you've got to make so much money that Mount Pleasant to enjoy that quality of life. I mean, you're but you got to make a payment on a $500 to a million dollar or more house. You can't get a place to stay here for less than $500 grand. And if you're in Mount Pleasant and you buy, buy a house for $500,000, $600,000, $700,000, it may be on a quarter of an acre, more like a fifth of an acre. You can literally hand a cup of sugar out the window to your neighbor. They're right on top of you. And, and, and they all look the same. It's all phony, it's all plastic. Man, I'll tell you what, these, these Yankees, man, they've destroyed because I, 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 I if, if I could make a living, and somewhere like maybe even Georgetown or Paplico or a little bit further in. I, I would take that over here any day, man. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to live in Florence because, hell, the traffic in Florence is about as bad as it is here. But, uh, I mean, that's just me now. But I'm telling you what, man, this, uh I mean, it's a phony life. There's nothing genuine about it. I mean, it, it, if somebody gave me a beach house, on the Isle of Palms right now, I would sell it. I wouldn't live there. If I had to go if I had if I made, if I if I won the lottery and got two hundred million dollars, I wouldn't buy a house in the Isle of Palms. I wouldn't buy a house in Hilton Head. I wouldn't want to live downtown Charleston. If I had if I had unlimited resources I wouldn't want to live anywhere in those places. And I bought it at the point where I wouldn't want to live in Paulys or Litchfield either. You know, if you'd have told me that in nineteen eighty Yeah, I'd have been right down, right there on the beach and hopefully I'd be dead by night, by 2000 at at, at 85 years old or so. But right now I'm 60 and God willing, if I could live another 25 years and and everything, this isn't where I want to be. It'd probably be where I'm stuck. But I mean, the quality of life is destroyed here. Uh, Anywhere from five miles inland, you know, I wouldn't even want to live in Conway. I mean, they have utterly destroyed
6: and this. I mean, usually,
5: like, where, where's your place up there, Always, right, kid? Yeah. And, I mean,
0: really, it's different. Really it I mean, it, there's the no situation? doubt about it, Breeze. Thank you, appreciate it. It's different. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I've said over the, uh, I said on the radio when I go the, the the rare moment I go to the fresh market, I want to yell MAGA. When I walk <laughs> in there, I want to I, I want to yell MAGA. It's different. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's different. And and I'm not, you know, I mean, I, here's an interesting point Breeze raised. What if you won the $100 million lottery? Where would you live? See, there are many of you that I think struggle with the very same thing I struggle with. I believe there are good people. I believe there are bad people. I believe there are good places. I believe there are bad places. I think there's periods of deflation, periods of I mean, I get all that. But the, the, the practicalities of the world have left me behind. And by that, I mean the value system of society in, in general. And I'm talking about collective society. It's just in such contrast with, with the way I was taught the world is to operate. I mean, I, I know, I realize, Rev, that I don't have authority to dictate the terms and conditions of the way the world turns. I mean, I don't have the authority to tell people in Pawleys or Litchfield or, or Mount Pleasant or North Myrtle Beach how to live. I mean, I accept that. I totally understand that my way of life, my priorities, my worldview is not shared by everyone. I certainly accept that. I'm willing to negotiate on that, but but a couple of days ago, we named a man woman of the year.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: I mean, it was so so. If you had a hundred million dollars and you could do anything you wanted to and live in it, I'd want to get as far away from that as I could. Why would I want to be in the middle of that muck and make myself angry? I mean, that's kind of what Breeze is talking about: the frustration, the 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 the, the anxiety, the the the, the anger. That it brings about. I mean, I get I get angry when I read an article, and I know it's not you know the Babylon B. I know it's not satire. Um, I, I get angry when I read that, and and a woman, or excuse me, the, the a woman's organization names a dude as its woman of the year. That's just bizarre to me. I mean, I, I don't want any part of that.
1: The ceremony at the White House, but,
0: and that's when I, I mean, that's when I romance about a two mile driveway on a ranch in. In Wyoming, I mean, I can't isolate myself. I mean, I'm not talking about Unabomber. I'm not talking about Ted Kaczynski and a, you know, a manifesto and, you know, resistance to culture and society at the level or the degree that you think it's okay to, I mean, that's mental illness. I mean, there's a lot of things kicking involved in that. But I got to believe that Breeze and I aren't the only ones find themselves terribly frustrated with the way the world is. And once again, I accept I don't have the authority. Nor the ability to change the world and make it the way I want to make it, but but I did, when when we when we rationalize allowing a child to have a sex change operation at eight or nine years old, when parents make public, um you know the, the notion that their kid is always, but they knew the day their kid was born that he was born of the wrong sex. I mean, it's, it's just bizarre to me. It's weird. It's perverted. It's something I don't want any part of. But but if you're going to live in society, if you're going to go to the grocery store and go out and eat and go to the gym, I mean, you're going to bump into people that have these these worldviews. And I, I guess I make them as frustrated as they make th- uh, me. I, I make them as angry as they make me. I, I, I They kind of shake their head at me the way I shake my head at them. And, and once again, Rev, I'm not talking about big government, small government. I'm not talking about roads and bridges. I'm not talking about education. I'm talking about um it's kind of I mean it's it's a perverted bizarreness that we've allowed to be normalized in society, and I don't have any idea what what the um what the ingredient, what what the what the moving agent is within that. I mean, we we talked yesterday a good bit about money and power and loyalty to themselves. I mean, I, I don't know what motivates these people to believe that's normal. I mean it's we, we can't we as a country agree? That it's abnormal to honor a dude as Woman of the Year by a woman's organization? Can't we agree that uh, male weightlifters don't need to be competing with female weightlifters? Apparently, we can't because we've got some of these um some of these woke and politically correct organizations that are I, I, I mean really and truly insulting our way of life, insulting our value system. You know, I think I understand. What we talked about the death of neoconservatism or not, you know, the um, the myth of America. I mean, it is a how can a nation remain um, bound to its historical perspectives when we're beginning to do things like this? I mean, 30 years ago in America, you had liberals? Hell, you had hippies. I mean, we've always had liberals and conservatives, and we've always had a yin and a yang. But did you told a liberal at Woodstock? that this woman's organization is going to name a dude as its recipient for woman of the year. And in the fifth grade, they're going to allow kids to sign a medical contract that allows them to have a sex change operation. And in kindergarten, we're going to tell kids about oral sex. And I mean, no, I mean, I think even the hippies at Woodstock would go, no, man, that's a little too wild for me. I mean, how much acid do you have to drop (laughs) to think that's normal? But no, the American political left today defends that way of life. They advance, they promote, and they basically say, well, I mean, it's not the way you interpret it to be. That's always, I've noticed this about Twitter. I mean, if you make a valid point on Twitter, and I'm not a moron, I know when I make a valid point. You know as listeners when I make a valid point, and you know when I'm filling time. But when I make a valid point and it hits the nerve, it's obvious the way they respond. And it's not intelligence it's emotion it's it's all about emotion and feelings and i just think when when a man sits down and appears to be distraught because he believes he's born of the wrong sex a conservative would say dude i hate it for you man but i ain't buying into that i mean i'm just not your dude i mean i understand you got problems join the club we all do but but the the liberal the the political politically correct liberal says well i mean uh, you need help I mean, there needs to be some government adjustment there needs to be something to make sure, you know, you don't feel the way, the way that you feel today. And once again, I understand the money, the power, the loyalty to themselves. I've got Mitch McConnell completely figured out. Mitt Romney. Lindsey Graham to some degree. I mean, I consider Lindsey a friend. It's hard on me to say that about Senator Graham. But I understand that the money, the power, the loyalty to themselves, the, the honor and obligation of one another, not the people. But, but I don't understand these these cultural and societal abnormalities about you know the country's supposed to accept that, that a dude can be named female of the year by a woman's organization um, that's just not the case that's I mean it's just not real it's it's make-believe it's fantasy land it doesn't make you know any sense T- talking about money and power um, remember yesterday when I said you probably don't because I don't think I don't say many things worth <laughs> worth remembering, but but we are beginning to realize um, the magnitude of our government's policy deceptions. The key word in that is deceptions. It's not mistakes. It's not um. It's not hey, we thought this way, but it ended up being another way. I kind of went down that road a good bit yesterday, and and then read more about this article in the, in the American Conservative. Um, and, and I found a particular example, because once again, money, power, loyal to themselves. I mean, that's some of what Tucker talked about, you know, when the January 6th video, the, um, the unreleased video, the unreleased, unedited video was made available to the public via the Tucker Carlson show, that there was a um, kind of an uproar in Washington about painting a picture inconsistent with the truth. In other words, Tucker's painting an inconsistent picture of the truth. We did, but that's okay. Right. Because we're Congress members. We're senators. It doesn't matter what what party you're in. The loyalty, the um, the obligation is not to we the people, but rather to themselves.
1: And, and we'll tell you what the truth is. Sure. So we'll sure. we'll present the truth, and you will believe it. Well,
0: that's if you read a tweet by anybody with a leftist worldview, that's is it, always an insult. It's always, um, you're a liar, and I'm telling the truth. And if you ever respond, if you can, you know, like like Jeff and I do, where do you get your truth from? I mean, if you don't trust Tucker, who do you trust? I mean, do you trust Mitch McConnell? Do you really trust Chuck Schumer? I mean, I get not trusting Tucker. Okay, to some degree, I don't, because I think he's a, a provocateur. He's a really good one, but offering unedited video, I mean, maybe the commentary was a little bit spinny. Imagine that. Somebody on Fox News spinning commentary. But the video speaks for itself. But, but if you, I mean, if, the, if, the, if the, and that's how you know you've hit a nerve of the left. Tucker is absolutely over the target because all the left does is insult him or anybody that can condones anything that he stands for. And that's a silly, juvenile, elementary argument. But it seems to be where where the left goes. And it's not just the left. I mean, it's the, um, with all due respect, what did John Decker say yesterday when I pushed back a little bit? Decker said, well, it's not just the Democrats. I mean, there are several members of Congress in Washington who said, that Tucker made a huge mistake, or, you know, Fox News made a huge, um, McCarthy made a huge mistake by releasing the footage to Tucker. We don't care what Mitt Romney says. How many of you listening to my voice right now hold Mitt Romney in high regard? Hold Mitch McConnell in high regard? Hold any of the, the senators that say. That's the, that's the living, breathing proof of the money and power, um, loyalty to themselves and, and nobody else. And, and I said something yesterday, but I, I'm not saying America First is taking the place of legitimate journalism. But America First is the most skeptical group of people about government honesty that there is in America today. At the core of America First, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a policy, and it's about trade. It's about immigration. It's about China. It's about globalism. It's about intervention. I mean, there's a lot of common bond that a lot of America Firsters have. But if you dig a little deeper, I got my Towns Van Zandt t shirt on this morning. If you dig to the bottom of that rabbit hole, it is a sincere distrust we have for government. We don't trust the government to tell us the truth. And we're proven to be more and more in line with what the truth really is. But but I read an article yesterday, continuing down the road, of it's all about money and power, it's all about loyalty to themselves. Um, and and maybe, Rev, we're entering a period of time where um, the, the populations of nations around the world – begin to question whether they want to subject themselves to American dominance. And um, in this rule-based order that America's top of the food chain, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be top of the food chain, but but I think we deserve to be questioned. So let's let's go here for a second. I mean, I found this story yesterday, and then we'll, um, all right, let's do it. We got, we're running behind. You want to take a break? Rev's trying to answer some calls here. The phones are lighting up. Let's take right. a break. I don't okay. want to get too far, but I'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843 6610937 Let's get to the phone. Someone's there. Charles in Florence. Good morning.
1: Charles, you there?
2: Oh, I'm here. Sorry. We broke up for just a second. Morning, guys. Um, just want to make a quick few comments. Uh, one of them is I was raised, in uh, Ken, you and I are the same age, and I was raised in St. Louis Catholic. My dad was a deacon in the Catholic Church. We, we were never taught about homosexual homosexuality or anything like that we you know may have been wrong or that's what the thought was but what somebody did even back in the 70s and 80s growing up it was never that they you know we thought those people were bad or evil nothing like that but we all knew it was coming down a pike that they were going to force it upon us and it's just irritating and, and frustrating when you hear the left on tv talk about how uh, you know, we hate those people or anything like that. And and we all know that's not the case. But just it's amazing how fast it went from doing it in your own bedroom to forcing it upon schools and little kids. That's one comment. The other one is, and I've said this a while back, that I, I always thought, I guess I was naive, that Democrats and Republicans were, were opposite or, you know, they were on two sides of the fence. And a few of them may be. But, you know, everything going on lately just shows that it, they, they really aren't. You know, they, it's just a big game that a lot of them play, and it's just frustrating when for years you thought that you were on the right side. That's it. I'll take it off the air. Thanks,
0: guys. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. You know, i have never been one to concern myself with how you live your life. I'm just not. I mean, I've always been pretty good at. A lot of things I suck at. I've always been pretty good at minding my own business. I mean, I have a worldview, but I'm not here to impose my worldview on you. I mean, if you want to sit down and drink a beer and talk about it, got a lot of buddies in my life that don't see the world as I do. Um, I consider them dear friends, but but there's got to be a point where you go like, wow, whoa, now. I mean, maybe I can't let that slide. In other words, if you think the tax rate should be 45 or 50 percent, I mean, I sternly disagree with you, but I don't think you're, I don't think you're a danger. To the country by believing that. I mean, I think you create financial calamity, and I don't think your your model will work. But does that mean you're you know? I mean, I don't want to say bad person. That's that's a real uh, broad uh, brushing way to describe someone. But but I do believe that debating the marginal tax rate, and let's say the socialist wants a 50 percent federal tax rate, and I'm more of a 20 percent guy, and the government needs to cut spending, and he says no, the government needs to provide all these wonderful programs. I mean, I think there's a reasonable debate to be had there. I mean, I think I'm right. I think he's wrong. But, but how, who rationalizes? Who can intellectually defend a, a, a dude being named woman of the year? Who can defend a five-year-old child being taught oral sex? Who can defend a fifth-grade kid being allowed to sign a medical contract to have a sex change operation? Those are indefensible. I mean, I think you're wrong to want a 50% tax rate. I think you are wrong to want the federal government to spend $7 trillion a year, but I think you're dangerous to believe a dude can be woman of the year and a fifth grader can sign a contract to allow him or her to have a sex change operation. There's a difference in being wrong and dangerous, and I think that mindset is dangerous
1: to America. Let's go to the phone. Jason and Sumter listening to WTXY. Morning.
7: Morning. Um, I, the previous caller took a little bit of the pushback I was, um, was considering and to agree with your other point, you know, certainly, um, a minor child does not need to be entering into any kind of medical contract. And that's, um, un- unfortunately due to some rampant, uh, organizers that, uh, have some very funny ideas and really should go away. But, uh, this was sort of a fight that was coming after you know you had the LGB and then the T added during the, the 90s, and the LGB got theirs, you know they're they're now in allowed in mainstream society and being able to live their lives without uh, laws or pushback, and um, now the T that got left out, they're looking they're looking for that same treatment. They're just—they want to live their lives who they think you know who they feel they are know they are whatever have you—and uh, just want to be left alone about it. The majority of them, I'm sure, just like every average people. But you got the uh, uh, the radical class that wants to take it to the extreme.
0: And that's dangerous to me. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate the call, Jason. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. And once again. I can honestly rationalize why people in power want more power. I mean, let's go to the Springsteen song. Poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. I get the money and power. I get the loyalty to themselves. Mitch McConnell cares so little about the people of Kentucky, but he cares so much about the people. I mean, he cares so much he's at a fundraiser at the Waldorf Astoria as an 81-year-old on behalf of what? The citizens of Kentucky? No, the Senate Leadership Fund. I mean, if you ask McConnell to go somewhere to Kentucky at 9 o'clock at night, he said, man, I'm I'm old. I mean, I can't go to—I mean, you got to understand, as I get a little older, I can't, you know, go to as many of those events as I could. But there's no way he'd miss a Senate Leadership Fundraiser. That's his political action committee. That's how he holds on to money and power. I mean, the people of Kentucky keep him elected. I mean, maybe he runs again. I don't know. He'll be, what, 83 when he runs again. Maybe he does run again. And I get the loyalty to themselves. I get this. Let's go with this story real quick. So what we've talked about, you know, uh, we had I have talked and discussed that I think we're entering a period in which the populations of other nations are beginning to sus- become more suspect about American dominance. Um, I'll give an example. I mean, I found this over the uh, last 12 hours. Remember the Nord Stream? And we were wondering who bombed um, the Nord Stream. Yep. So in the rules-based order of America top of the food chain, which I, I have no problem with. I accept that America is top of the food chain. Largest economy, uh, biggest military, uh, biggest tax base. I mean, I get it. I understand it. We are, um, you know, the cat's meow, so to speak, when it comes to foreign policy. Um, E.F. Hutton, what was the old When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. When America speaks, everybody listens. No doubt about it. Got no problem with that we we've earned to some degree some of that but it's not a birthright it's not guaranteed forever but we as leaders of this rule based order um decided that germany should not import cheap russian natural gas i don't know if you remember this or not but we were playing geopolitics and we were on the record um in fact our state department our president all opined that you know we didn't like the fact that germany was importing cheap natural gas. Um, we threatened to cut off the pipeline, supplying Russian natural gas. Um, if Russia did not, uh, let's say this bow to Washington's wishes, I mean, that that's the truth. i mean the state department and the administration threatened to cut off the pipeline. We strongly encourage Germany who were depending on Russia to provide natural gas via the pipeline. Um, and then the Nord Stream gas pipeline gets blown up. I'm mean, going to get sabotaged. Um, and, and, and if anybody says, wow, man, the Americans did say some of those things, uh, but the Americans were opposed to Germany buying cheap Russian natural gas. We know that pipeline was used in the export-import of cheap natural gas did the president, to his Germany? words were, we'll stop it? Well, I mean, sure he did. I mean, the, the executive branch and the State Department said it. So let's read. I mean, you, you got to dig a little bit. Let's read what um what Blinken said, and he was the Secretary of State, or is the Secretary of State, after the attacks on the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline. I mean, I got his exact quote. And remember now, that connects Russia to Germany, Um, and and he said— it's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus take away the Vladimir Putin weaponization of energy as a means of advancing his imperial designs. That's rich. I mean, that's unbelievably rich. That's very significant and that offers tremendous strategic opportunity for the years to come. Now, when 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 certain people, Tucker Carlson, talk radio, Fox News, when we began questioning who indeed sabotaged the North Stream pipeline, I got it written here. You ready? The AP, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, CBS, ABC. I found all articles yesterday that were in agreement it was a baseless conspiracy theory. Of course it was. I mean, anything that we say as America firsters about our government is a baseless conspiracy theory. We'd already gone on the record. We'd already let it be known that we didn't like Germany buying cheap Russian natural gas because it kept Vladimir Putin to some degree a significant energy player. We would be the most likely suspect to bomb. We we were the only country of noteworthiness that had gone on the record and and, and said Germany. I mean, if, if you want to continue, you know, the the, the relationships we have, then you, you better reconsider. How much natural gas you depend on from Russia? So so who are I mean Russia would destroy I mean, that's kind of the American narrative. I mean that's the that's the deep state narrative that 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 Russia d- destroyed its own pipeline to make it look like America's a saboteur. I mean, I personally think America bombed the pipeline in some way, shape or form. We've we probably got the best technology. We've got the the most advanced bombing equipment. In the world. I mean, we would be the likely suspect. But we weren't allowed to have that debate. I mean, we have the debate on Tucker Carlson's show. We have the debate on Dan Bongino's show. Uh, Clay Travis tweets about these sorts of things. We've had discussions over over these airwaves about it, but the AP, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, CBS, ABC all refer to our opinions as baseless conspiracy theories. Why? Why is my opinion a baseless conspiracy theory? It's it's based on a lot of things. It's based on um, the administration and, and State Department saying that we don't like Germany buying cheap natural gas from Russia. It's based on Blinken saying that this very is this is very significant and offers a tremendous strategic opportunity for years to come. I mean, it sounds to me like there's a great celebration in Washington. And that goes back to the money and power and loyalty to themselves. The 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 APs of the world, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, CBS ABCs of the world are, are in concert with these 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 wealthy and powerful organizations and individuals in controlling the narrative, and and that's kind of a new word, reverend We're beginning to see that word a lot. Narrative enforcement. I mean, you know how soccer moms became a word. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a new word, narrative enforcement. Um, Fauci would be a prime example of narrative enforcement. I don't know if you saw this or not, but um, uh, was it Robert Redfin said he was excluded from a conference call that mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci had. I mean, he's a oh, CDC director but he wasn't allowed to be on a conference call discussing whether or not there should be any consideration given to the lab leak theory. Now, Fauci says, I had nothing to do with that. I mean, I was invited to be on the call. I had nothing to do uh, with that at all. So Anthony Fauci, who is in the center of all of everything that happens with COVID, had nothing to do with who's on a call deciding whether whether gain-of-function funding led to a lab leak that changed the world probably for the rest of our lives. 843 Let's go to the phone.
1: Joe in Hartsville. Hey, Joe.
8: Yeah, good morning, guys. Yeah, and, and once he got on that call and convinced the, the two major players that it was in their best interest to say, well, no, wasn't the lab league. They got, what, like $9 million in grants. So, yeah, that's kind of convenient. But these people act like There's no video of them talking, you know. You you see video of Victoria Newland sitting there saying, "If Russia invades Ukraine, the Nord Stream two will no longer be functional." And then Biden standing up and saying, "Yeah, if Russia invades, we'll we'll take it out." I mean, you got that. But what we have now. Is I've been reading this Inflation Reduction Act and I looked at Biden's budget proposal. What you remember, we were talking earlier about strong men create good times and good times create weak men and weak men create bad times. We're in that cycle and we've had two of them in the last 40 years. Reagan created such a a strong economy with his policies, that it lasted all the way through Clinton. Well, they take all the good times, add all these programs to get people, you know, pay people not to work, and then it starts to go down and people say, well, we don't like this, we'll vote Republicans in. And then you get, you know, mediocre because you're trying to dig out of the hole, and then you know Obama comes in. And what did Michelle Obama say? Rock knows that we got to change our history, our culture, our way of doing things. And wait, wait, what, what are you talking about? So you saw that turn. Trump comes in. The economy goes from what budget of three or revenue of three point three trillion. They say he does two trillion dollars worth of tax cuts. And we'll lose $580 billion a year or over 10 years. So that's $58 billion less. And five years later, they're taking in $2 trillion more. But yet they say they didn't take in more. So we're going to keep raising, but we're going to tax, you know, unrealized capital gains, which will wipe out all investment. And it'll wipe out the stock market because, that, that fall yesterday was strictly banks because they're stuck with all these treasury bills that were, you know, low interest, high yield. Well they're starting to invert and they're having to dump it. That's that's basically why that crash went down five hundred points yesterday. But we're we're at the end of the good times of the Trump administration because Biden, like I say, you know, I I talked yesterday about the uh the regulations called in three hundred and fifty nine, that was just in two years. Uh Mike, whoever called in, is right, it's over a trillion dollars. But that was just two three hundred and fifty nine billion in twenty one and twenty two. So you know, they keep piling on and paying people not to work, and we can't afford to do that anymore. And and we're almost at the tipping point.
0: Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. 843-661-0937. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937. I'll ask our listeners, does America have a right or the authority to decide whether Europe depends on Russia for energy? I mean, I understand. I mean, I'll admit. I mean, I, I think America has a place in the world. There's no doubt about it. I think a a stage of world leaders that doesn't include America is a more dangerous world. But does America have a right to decide where Europe gets its energy from or not? Let's go to the phone. Here's Bruno in Florence. Good morning. Hey, guys. Good morning. Great show.
7: Ken, Ken, I got a couple questions for you. Um, Are you got Democrats? are smarter than Republicans. Republicans. Because it seems like every election cycle, they're they're one one step ahead of us. In our twenty twenty, it was the drop boxes. In our twenty twenty two, it was the ballot harvesting. Um, and I just I I just think if if we don't do something to, to match that, all this other other talk that we're doing isn't going to matter because they they will win again. I just do listen to what you have to
0: say. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. I mean, I've always argued that the uphill battle a conservative has in trying to take control over government is you want to be in control of something you don't care much for. I mean, how can I be as motivated? I mean, if you're a liberal and you want government to level the playing field, you're going to be very motivated to be in control of those levers of government because I want to weaponize government. I want government to settle scores. I mean, society sorted itself out unfairly, fairly culturally, Uh, culture has played, you know what I mean? I mean, social economics plays too big a part of that. Um, some people get a better shake than others and I want government to, to, to right those wrongs. And then you've got a conservative that says, I don't want government to do much of anything. I mean, provide a national defense, you know, build roads and bridges, invest to some degree in education, but, but I don't know that I want government to do much of anything. So you're competing in an election. One person is enthusiastically invested because they want to be in control of government because they view government as the fairness arbiter. It is the one entity or enterprise that can settle these scores that need to be settled. And then you've got the conservative that says, I don't buy any of that. In fact, I wish government was small enough to drown in a bathtub. I mean, why would you naturally? I mean, you've got to motivate yourself to believe it's that important. The liberal, just out of their instinct, believes it's that important. The conservative it, it's a bigger struggle. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Let's go to the
1: phone. Richard and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning.
0: Morning, gentlemen.
3: How are you doing? Good morning. Morning. Um, I heard that Sheriff Richard Max coming to town next Tuesday to speak at the GOP meeting. Did you guys know about that?
1: Yeah, I think he's coming here, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah. We've got a time and a date set.
1: Yep, next Tuesday at 730 here on the radio. Correct.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Appreciate the call.
0: 843-661-0937. That's next Tuesday morning. And some of this, from what I understand, I mean, I've read a little bit about it. There are certain legislations and law, certain legislature and law. uh, What am I trying to say here? Legislation and law. I'll get it right in a minute. um, That are on the books that some sheriffs are reluctant to enforce. And this guy's been one of the outspoken critics of federal legislation that he vehemently disagrees with. And is willing to not enforce some federal law on some on some occasions. 937 Got time for one more call? Yeah, we'll Let's squeeze go there.
1: in. Mitch from Sumter, listening to WDXY. Hello, Mitch.
4: Hey, good morning. This is Mitch.
1: Hey, Mitch, you're on the air.
4: Hey, sir. Uh, regarding your question about do we have the right to tell Europe what to do? We don't. We have. A, I'm not an isolationist, but I would also counter that with the idea of. The rest of the world is going to try to tell America what to do. Look at what the world Health, world Health Organization is trying to do and what they're doing with our monetary finances. Um, you know, in some way, shape or form, we have to figure out how do we stand up for ourselves, but at the same time, be a good partner to the rest of the world. So it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard choice to make. That's why we should be electing smart people that have diplomacy and can figure these things out. Uh,
9: instead of just pawn throwers.
0: Thank you. Appreciate that. And I mean, I mean, obviously the statement is to be provocative. It's got a complex answer. I accept that. But the Secretary of State, the President of the United States, have basically says that they see uh, the Nord Stream being sabotaged as an opportunity to remove Europe's dependency on Russian energy. Is that our role in the world? I mean, is our role to decide where Germany gets its energy from? where where the rest of europe gets their energy from and because we don't like vladimir putin we're going to make sure they don't either take a break back in a few it takes mondays to make fridays 843-661-0937 we're uh, we're fortunate again to have a full house with us in the eight o'clock hour on a uh friday morning representative jay jordan representative philip low center mike rickenbar all with us um ready to roll i mean ready to talk about what has happened uh, this most recent week in Columbia, but before we go down the road of, of of the business in Columbia, do you want to start with you, left or right? Um, there's this there's this this movement within the party, and I mean, it, a lot of people believe it's all about Trump. Some people believe it's all about you know, kind of um this America First agenda. For me personally, and I can't speak for the three of you, but for me, it's are you right on policy or not? And by that I mean, are you prioritizing in your case the people of your district, people of your state, um, in a conservative fashion? Is it is it complicated now for you to try and I mean, hold on to what you believe in? I know you to be a very conservative person. I know Philip to be a very conservative person. I know Mike and have grown to know Mike to be a very conservative person. But but there there are there are ancillary forces that work in the universe of which you control some and don't control others. Has it made your job more complicated to be a policymaker and legislator, knowing some of these um,
10: uh, some of these ancillary concerns are moving uh, out there? I don't think it's made it more complicated in that the the nuts and bolts of what we do. I don't think it's changed. You know, at the end of the day, we really have two jobs when you send us to Columbia. Number one, um, to pass good legislation. You know, to make sure, like we'll do in the House next week, that we pass a conservative, responsible budget for the people of South Carolina uh, and other um, laws that we try and put on the books. And the second job is to try and stop the bad laws. We spend a lot of our time trying to knock down really, really bad ideas. Um, and, and if you don't think that's a, a, a major purpose of what we do there, um, just look a little closer. I think it has changed a little bit in that we have to do a better job of distinguishing ourselves from Washington. I think you've heard the three of us do that a lot over the last couple of years. Um, Washington has turned into something truly different than what it, w- what it was and what it was ever intended to be under the leadership of President Biden. Um, we've spent a lot of time in South Carolina and in Columbia at the Statehouse trying to distinguish ourselves and the policies that make us different from other states and particularly the federal government. And I think you're seeing now the fruit of that labor and that you see South Carolina growing, prospering. You see industry coming to South Carolina, trying to escape some of the the things that have happened in other parts of the country. So I don't know that it's changed practically the, you know, what we do, but I think it has created another layer of, we have to be a better, do a better job of distinguishing how we're different. Philip.
11: You know, policy is really a tug of war, and you have the far left, you know, that's liberal folks over there. You have the far right, you have folks, I won't say in the middle, but if you got 10% on each end, then the 80% in the middle are are in the middle, and that includes probably some Democrats. It includes uh, most of the Republican Party, and you know, you can't write policy for the extreme far left or the extreme far right. If I send a bill to the Senate, that's so far extreme to the right, they'll laugh at it, they'll put it in a drawer, and they won't take it up. So you've got to kind of find, what is it we think we can do to advance our cause, to advance ideology in a conservative way? If you take the most furthest right position in the bill, it tends not to happen. If you can find something that most of us can get along with, then it, it tends to have a chance in the Senate. I've been there so many years where we pass the same bill every two years and see it die. And I'm not complaining that the Senate is just, you know, obstructionist, but they tend to pick the very biggest topics and work on those. And, you know, and it may get through and they may not. And, Mike, the best day, I mean, when you ran for office
0: as an outsider, and you were, um, you had no record. Now you'll, you'll, you'll begin to build a record. It'll be a conservative record, I have no doubt, but it won't be an extreme record because nobody gets an extreme record because if you try to stand there, nobody gets anything done. Have you realized, I mean, have you, I mean, I didn't say if you like it cause I didn't like it. I mean, I know you don't like it. I know Philip doesn't like it. I know Jay doesn't like uh, some things about it, but have you begun to accept that, that you've got to, you, you've got to kind of find some common ground with people who may or may not share your, your, your positions.
6: Yeah. Well, it's would and it's a great question. I think it really falls into two different categories. They're, they're the social issues, and then there's the the fiscal and the financial issues. On the the financial issues, they're really treated separately because what I'm hearing from constituents is the lack of trust, and they're not even sure who to believe. And that started with with Washington, I believe. And candidly speaking, it's flowed down into to Columbia. You know, people read sound bites and they read headlines, but we're getting a black eye with this comptroller general. You know the the four and a half billion dollars misclassification with a net three and a half billion. It's four and a half billion as a total because some are overrepresented, some are underrepresented, some are overclassified, underclassified. But I'm hearing from people getting emails, calls, from people like, how do we trust what you're all doing there when this problem's been going on for a decade? On the social issues, it's a little bit cleaner in that you know, as three of us, as as true social conservatives. We're able to say, this is what I stand for. We're going to fight for the second amendment. We're going to fight for pro-life. We're going to fight for, you know, the, the ability for parents to choose. We're going to fight for no mandates, but ultimately it's harder to fight on the fiscal side for transparency and accountability. And that was one of the hallmarks of my, my commitment with my contract with the PD was transparency and accountability and financial matters. But when our comptroller general, and when we can't trust that, how are we supposed to be the face of government? And say here's where we stand, but the number's off by billions. That's a lot of money. Yeah, with a B. Uh, Philip, I'll start with you.
0: Um, what happened at the state house this week that the public should be made aware of? I mean, were, were there were there a certain bill passed <laughs> or made out of the house or or come through committee?
11: Sure. I think the very biggest thing we passed in the house uh, the incentives that would bring Scout International, part of Volkswagen, to the Midlands uh, and and it's a lot of money. But, hey, I'll tell you, we have the money. We paid for that with cash. We didn't go borrow money. We're not going into any debt at all on this. So, you know, what do you do with the money? There's a lot of things you can do with money, but investing in the future of South Carolina, it brings good business and good jobs to our people Is part of it. No matter how much it is, we can all argue we wish we didn't have to. But to fight for the things that, that for those industries that we need and want, their incentives have to be offered or you don't get them. And I
0: think it's $1.3 billion in incentives. It what do is. we think those incentives will work? I mean, the, I mean, we talk about compounding investments and the recurring revenue generated as a result of their – I mean, there, there are all these surveys and studies that people use and utilize. Jay, that's a big deal. It's the biggest economic investment ever made in South Carolina, and that includes Boeing and BMW, if I'm not mistaken.
10: That, that's correct. And you can look at those industries and what they did for the state of South Carolina and the particular regions they sit in. And, and I don't think anyone would argue with the success of what of BMW or Boeing. Um, this is a big deal. Um, it is a lot of money. It's, you know, we take that very, very seriously. How do you personally hash
0: out 1.3 billion taxpayer dollars going to a, an unbelievably wealthy private sector company, but as Philip said, and I've been in those shoes, philosophically, I can be opposed to that but, but I've gotta be where the rubber meets the road. And this is a, an unbelievable opportunity for our state. But, but how do you personally kind of go 1.3 billion, but, but look at what we're getting.
10: It's, it's a, it becomes a math formula. It really does. Um, when you look around us and we always talk about economic development and how it's a competition, we look no further than Georgia. Georgia spent about double that number last year in economic development incentives. Um, this is a, a a, land, a landmark kind of deal, $2 billion, um, um, many, many jobs. It's actually going to be double. Uh, there's a phase two that is part and parcel of this that we think is a not a done deal, but it's it's on the... It
0: could home. be similar to BMW in, in the upstate. I mean, it could be for the Midlands what BMW it, is it, doing it really for is the be, upstate.
10: It really is going to be bigger than that. If it if everything comes to fruition and phase two comes to, comes to be, it's going to be bigger than that. I'd say there are a couple crucial things that go along with this. Um, number one, it's guaranteed, the, the, the 1.3 is guaranteed by a company like Volkswagen that I think is the seventh or eighth largest company in the world. Um, the, the folks that, the commerce folks says this is, this is um, a very high credit rating type situation. So there's a lot of assets that go with Volkswagen. They give us the opportunity, should this go south, to claw that money back. We don't. The only money that we, we will not get back in this is the money that goes for infrastructure in the area around the, where the plant, where the facility is going to be. The, um, the, Which
0: is a fundamental role of government. Correct,
10: in a very fast-growing part of the state. So that money, the, the rest of the money is tied to um, very specific um, language that says when when the scout folks meet these criteria, they get uh, dollars to go to certain specific things to deal with workforce development, those kind of things. And if they don't meet those requirements, they don't get the funding. So there's, and then I think Philip probably has these numbers um, better than I do with the ways and means situation. but. I think it's a very—it's not a very long period of time before we can say, uh, based on the projections, that the taxpayer will be made whole again, and not only that, we'll, we'll add money to the coffers. And most of our world, it'll be returned on investment. Fill up the numbers, and then I'll go to
0: Mike and let him uh, opine on why he thinks it's a good deal.
11: Well, you're talking, what, $1.3 billion. You're going to get a, a huge interchange out there on the interstate, and you're going to take a, a railroad and have a bridge built over I-77 so you can access this so that'll feed many things this is a mega site and this company scouts probably only using a third of the entire site so the investment in that and probably over a third of this is just road infrastructure type development that's going in but the 1.3 by 2029 will return 15 billion to our economy so that's that's an investment that's when when you have extra money, you can go buy a pair of shoes, or you can invest it. You know, we just we bought uh, uh, essentially uh, an economic boom for for our area just by investing in this company. And thank goodness they're willing to come because they're investing two billion of theirself and ha- have a guaranteed payback of a billion if they don't produce the four thousand jobs.
0: But they will. I mean, as Jay said, they're they're one of the preeminent companies in all the world. Uh,
6: Mike. Yeah. I want economic development. I want it bad in this state. I want it bad in our region. So um, this could very well be a good thing. But uh, we've talked enough, Ken. I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic. Um, I, I'm an accountant, and I know it's annoying to be an accountant. But I ask questions because we need transparency and accountability. And I'm a I believe Volkswagen is the seventh largest company in the world. Um, has the ability to back this up. But there's some questions that need to be asked, and I look forward to. Part of the $1.3 billion aid package is a $200 million loan that's going to be at 5% interest paid out over 10 years. Why does the seventh largest company in the world need to borrow $200 million for this project to happen? Now, there may be a really good reason, but I would like to know why do they need $200 million loan to them over 10 years? Because most of us would like that kind of a loan. So. All that glitters isn't gold, and I hope this is gold. I hope it's the, the 24 karat best gold and will re- result in the 4,000 jobs in Phase 1 and the 4,000 in Phase 2. Um, we have seen in, in times past that there can be projects that are presented that sound great, but we need to ask questions and, and vet it to make sure it, it truly is going to be great for the citizens of South Carolina. So questions like the $200 million loan, questions like are they going to commit to not have – erroneous and rough esg environmental social and governance rules for the suppliers and if they don't have those rules they'll go out of state are they going to commit to make sure that they don't adopt a pro-union workforce because a lot of companies come to south carolina because we don't have unions because we are a right to work state. There are those kind of questions that we need commitments from Volkswagen. How do
0: we get those answers? I mean, if
6: you've got those questions, how do we get those answers? When it, fortunately, when it comes to the Senate and, and we hear for the aid package to the Senate, we ask the questions. And that's the beautiful thing about public debate and about going to the well and about asking questions is to, to ask them this and say, what's the answer here? Mike,
0: how much does it matter to you that we're competing with a Georgia and a North Carolina and an Alabama and a Florida I mean, when you, I mean, philosophically, all four of us would disagree in loaning the seventh biggest company in the world, $200 million, but, but in theory, I mean, in reality, you're competing with, you know, other, other states and other sites and other, and other deals. How do, how do we, I mean, we'll never know exactly what Georgia was willing to do or what Alabama may have done. So so, so how do you juxtapose what, what, what we're talking about here with with what some of the other states may or may not have been willing to do?
6: Yeah. And I think that's part of the balancing act. And I have so much respect for secretary of commerce, Harry Lightsey and what his department has done um, because they, they got us the nod against the Georgias and the Tennessees and the North Carolinas and the Florida's even. But I think part of the balance is to say, is this deal too rich for the citizens of South Carolina? And if it's not great, let's move forward. Let's let's get the jobs and let's employ good people because jobs, especially $60,000 a year hourly wage jobs starting off, those are generationally changing jobs. It changes families there. But is it a package that we could push back and ask Volkswagen, could you help us understand again why you want the $200 million loan to you? That's not an unreasonable question to ask someone there. Fair enough. Let's take a break. We'll be I Got a
0: couple of callers. Hang in there. We'll get to you on the other side. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. A couple of callers held on during the break. Let's go there. Barry in Chirag. Good morning. You are
1: on with the delegation.
12: Hey guys, uh, enjoy uh, enjoy you every Friday. You're doing a great job for the PD in the state. Um, I just want to ask a request for us up here in Sherrill, um, in Marlboro County, in Chesterfield County. We have a river bridge, guys, and if anything comes across y'all's desk, uh, voting wise on a on a new bridge, we would really appreciate it. They're patching it like it's uh, like it's brand new, and it's 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 falling apart. Uh, we only have one side of the bridge. Eastbound side is now open. The westbound is, is closed. Uh, we have industries. Everything comes over the river bridge. All the travel from up north that do, does not take 74 comes through Sheraw.
0: What is the bridge and what is the road?
12: All right, it's Highway, uh, it's highway 9, and it's uh, the Chirau, uh River Bridge, okay. the River Bridge, okay. and it's, it's in terrible shape terrible they've already had to close the other side because of the weight of the trucks they're they're worried about the weight limit so they've been working on it for it'll end up being pamplico uh ken is what i'm thinking it'll be five years but they're trying but if you see a bill that comes across for a new bridge do you know if there's
0: a bill in existence
12: i do not So we got a new representative and richie's on the other side of chesterfield county and i know richie yow is working hard but we have a new representative from Marlboro, representing most of Chautauqua now. So okay, good luck with that. Uh, so I'm just trying to reach out to those guys since they do a great job for everybody else. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you, Barry. Appreciate that. Anybody want to comment? I mean, that's not your district, but but obviously the infrastructure of the entire state is in the purview of the legislature.
10: Well, I'll say two things. Number one, I, I know Richie well. He's a great representative. He works hard. He loves his people, and I'm sure it's on his radar. Uh, and certainly, I think we would all agree on in, with the idea that infrastructure is a core government function. And I'm, I've been over that bridge many times. If you lose that bridge or don't have that bridge or have problems with that bridge, you got major issues, um, the smallest of which is probably economic development, which is a pretty big issue.
0: See, these guys these have been responsible, Barry. When I ran for office, I'd have promised you I'll get that bridge by Friday.
1: <laughs> Me and Bye-bye. Mike will be out yeah, there with yeah, shovels by, by hard next heads. Friday, we'll, we'll get that bridge. Got another call. Let's go there. We do. It is <laughs> Jeff in Florence. You are on with the delegation.
12: Good morning,
1: guys. Hey, hey. Jeff.
3: Good uh, morning. I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to make an assumption. I'd like you to uh, clarify your position on it, um, but then I want to ask you how it impacts uh, uh, your voting record. Um, I'm going to assume you're all against the Green New Deal and the woke electric car movement in the United States and to move away from fossil fuels. With that being said, I'd like you to clarify that. With that being said, I'd like you to, talk about how south carolina has just invested uh 1.3 billion dollars in an electric car company and we've been also invested in florence county on this electric battery plant and we're spending south carolina tax dollars to support the green new deal
0: thank you jeff appreciate that that's kind of an interesting question the majority of conservative republicans or not for the uh, the decarbonizing of the economy, um, but we're investing all this money in renewable energy or facets of renewable energy. I mean, I, I, Jeff and I have had this debate several times over the year. I don't think conservatives are against renewable energy. I think that's the misnomer. I think conservatives are very supportive of, you know, better and more efficient ways to energize our economy. I just think we believe, I don't want to speak for these three guys, personally, I think 10 years is unrealistic. I think this is a 30-, 40-, 50-year transition of, of, of energizing our economy one way and adopting newer and more efficient ways to do
10: it as um, as technology progresses. Jake? Certainly. I would say the the part I disagree with, you know, the government ought not be in the middle of it, and I know you're going to say next, well, what about picking winners and losers with this particular project? I don't think we're picking winners and losers. We're setting out an economic incentive package, and whoever wants to show up and take advantage of it that can produce the kind of jobs um, and good paying jobs that come along with this kind of project is welcome to step up to the table and they'll get treated exactly how the, these folks have been treated. Um, it doesn't matter to me whether they're building airplanes down like in Charleston or widgets or whatever you want to call it. If it's a good product, bringing good jobs to the people of South Carolina, the fact that it's electric gasoline means very little to nothing to me.
0: Mike, I want to jump Philip and go to you cause you're, you're the car business and, and I've been in the car business for a long time. Um, why have we allowed ourselves to be labeled as anti-renewable energy? You know, we won the Obamacare debate. I mean, it's not the Affordable Care Act. It's Obamacare. I mean, we Jay Jordan and I talk a lot about the business guy won the lawyer debate. I mean, the business guy or the lawyer, the public loves the business guy, doesn't care too much. I don't love the business guy. They kind of like the business guy a little more than they do the lawyer. But But I've never been opposed to renewable energy. I mean, I'm completely on board. If there's a better, more efficient, but we've allowed ourselves to be Basically, at the, um, I mean, we're the pawns of the oil companies. You know how those Republicans are. They'll always do what the oil companies ask them to do. How do you respond to that?
6: Yeah, I really believe, Ken, that's yet another example of a very liberal media painting conservatives in an unflattering and unfair light. Uh, I don't think you're going to find many people more socially or fiscally conservative than me. I own car dealerships, and Sharice and I have invested everything we own to have our three dealerships. And we believe that citizens should be able to choose what they want. The government shouldn't dictate it. They shouldn't tell you whether you have to be vaccinated, whether you have to wear a mask, or whether you have to buy an electric car or an internal, internal combustion car. But the beautiful part of this country is that people get to choose. And I think a great example is our Ford store, the all-electric Ford F-150 Lightning. The order bank was full within 48 hours. Those are hardworking Americans here in my district in Johnsonville and Florence and Pamplico and Darlington and Coward, Scranton, Effingham, Talana Atlanta. They filled the order bank, Ken, for the all electric. Now we still sell a whole lot of gas and we sell a whole lot of diesel, but people get to choose. So I don't think it's a function of we're not for renewable energies. I think it's for people get to, to make their own decisions and ultimately, What happens to Ford if we didn't sell Lightnings? Ford would not produce Lightnings, the all-electric truck. They would all produce either gas or diesel. The market will dictate what people want. And as the market dictates to, we want 10% electric, up to 15, up to 20. That's what the manufacturer will produce. And I think that's what America is about is being able to choose.
0: And, And philosophically, Philip, isn't that kind of what we believe in? Let the market dictate how fast or how slow or how many or how few.
11: i think the caller's uh, intent there was to show our hypocrisy correct you know that we're going to incentivize a company that we really don't believe that government should be incentivizing solar we want solar to work we don't want to incentivize it over and over you know for a few years you might incentivize something but this this has been i don't know 20 30 years we've been moving towards solar but it still doesn't really make sense to put on your rooftop without government incentives. From the federal and the state combined, then it's basically paying for about half of those incentives. So when federal government pushes something and begins to demand something, it demands certain EPA requirements and a certain percent of your fleet, they, they've gone overboard. And now this is the response. People are looking, where do we build this stuff? My biggest question is, where are we going to find the electricity to charge all this on the one hand, the left is screaming about, you know, anything being used for electricity other than solar, knowing full well there's no possible way that we can energize this company without without nuclear.
1: Well said. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Our next caller is Sam and Cross Hill. You're on with the delegation. Uh
9: good morning. Good morning, fellas. Um I, uh, I live in Cross Hill, South Carolina on Lake Greenwood, and I just want to express my appreciation to you guys in the, in, in Columbia for the efforts you're making to spend some money to, uh, repair what is called the Conestee Dam, which is holding back a whole bunch of pollution, um, on the Reedy River and is uh, over hundred years old. And, um, if that dam burst, all this stuff that came down from Greenville in the textile mill era, uh, will eventually make its way into Lake Greenwood, from what I understand. So I appreciate the efforts that you're making there. What I really called to talk about is um, I came down to Darlington yesterday, and on my travels down here, I tuned into WBT to a guy named Vince, and he referred to two pieces of legislation that that, um, was being worked on in the state house. One was a hate crimes bill, And the other one, I can't remember exactly what it was, but basically what had happened and what he was referring to, and he was almost gleefully making this announcement uh, saying that, well, maybe the state of South Carolina is not as red as they think they are because some Republicans had kind of crossed over to squash some amendments to those two pieces of legislation. And it just really kind of aggravated me uh, to no end to hear him. Uh, um, you know, kind of making a reference to well, well, maybe maybe South Carolina's not as red as they think they are, and 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 all. Uh, so is there this is there this thing between North Carolina and South Carolina, and they're blue and we're red, and they don't think we're we're as you know red as we
0: are. So anyway, thank uh, you, Sam. Appreciate, appreciate it. Is. Well, I'll I'll start with Jay on this one. Um, but but the truth is this, guys. I mean, it, it's easy for me to do what I do. I mean, it really and truly is. I don't, have a, I don't have a voting base. I don't have a subcommittee. I don't have a committee. I don't have an assignment in any sort of um, caucus. I have full authority to give my opinion every single day. But, but as you participate in politics, you will find yourself in, in, in contradictory places. You always will. Jay Jordan doesn't get to decide what every other member of the General Assembly, how they vote. Philip Lowe, Mike by the Senate. You don't get to decide the day you get there. Hey, this is what I want, so everybody else fall in line. You're always going to find yourself, as Philip just said, a little bit hypocritical of, of what you're saying. But you are. You. You. It, it's. It, it's. 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 It's a necessary ingredient of politics. Jay is not the only member of the General Assembly. Philip's not the only member of the House. Uh, Mike's not the only senator out there. So I think when you try and label someone as as you know the the height of hypocrisy he says these things on the on the campaign trail well i know these three guys well enough they say things on the campaign trail they believe in but when they get into that body as as an active member they have to work around how other people
10: feel jay is that a fair depiction I'm still mad about your lawyer business guy comments. Well, me, you know, you've, you know, you've, you've given me um, that one. You, you give know, me hardly any, no, any no. other credit, but you've given you, me well, that you, one. you three better not call me on Saturday night if you ever get locked up. I'm not coming to get you out of jail. Yeah, okay. uh, you called a business guy telling him to get you out of jail. But, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, you, you, ra- you raise an excellent point, um, you know, if it would only be exactly how the three of us want it to be, it would, everything would be perfect. I think that's the mindset of everybody who goes to Columbia or Washington or the city council or the county council. And It's
0: understandable. We're all, we're all self-absorbed
10: to some degree. And, and the reality is it's like anything else. It's like when I go home at night, um, you know, I want what I want at my house and I got to live with it. my wife and three kids who are, who tell me all the time they're smarter than me. And they probably are, but we have to work. We have to work together to accomplish, um, our goals and our plans. <laughs> Um, I'm, we're fortunate here in Florence and as the three of us sit here, we're, I think we're a pretty good team. We believe a lot, the same way we work hard, we work together on things. And I think when you can find that you can, you can make things happen. But I've seen so many people that come to Columbia and think they're going to change the world all by themselves. And it just doesn't work like that. And you, you run kind of under that
0: auspice, you know, give me a chance and I'll change the world. You get there and you realize, Philip, that, that world's pretty hard to change dramatically.
11: I mean amendments and bills come at you and you didn't have a chance to vote on them till you're on the floor and that stuff comes pretty quick. So you get amendments from people that didn't run it through a real lawyer up there and and <laughs> you don't really know what it says. They explain it in about 30 seconds and then turn around and walk away from the microphone and now you haven't even finished reading the amendment. You got to vote on it. So I mean we don't we have to be careful for things ideas that don't flow through a process And we can see it coming things thrown up on the house floor. You're going to always have these gotcha kind of amendments and things that come out of it that you don't know if they've been vetted properly and looked at Uh, there's no responsibility for the people drafting that amendment to even make it constitutional. They can just follow exactly your words and nobody thought about, Oh, what did we just do? And you can open a lot of cans of worms when you don't go through that process and have the public look at it. Just remember, the public's not seen any of those amendments. They've not had any input. They didn't go through that process in the subcommittee where public can come in and discuss it. So be careful with everything that someone tries to convince you of that we voted for or against on an amendment on the floor.
0: And Mike, a lot of times it's not what you allow to get passed, but what you stop from getting passed. Philip's talking about some of these um some of these random, almost instantaneous amendments.
6: Yeah, and, and Jay has brought it up several times, and I love the way you put that our job is to further good legislation, but to stop bad legislation. That's a big part of it. And I, you know, we're all fallible. Well, I don't know about Ken, you nah, might be perfect. <laughs> <need to laughs> the three of us over here are fallible and nah, we, I got a track record to prove I'm not, not so perfect. perfect. We make mistakes. Speak for yourself. But, but I, I think what <laughs> our constituents should be able to expect from us is not perfection, but that we will do what we say we're going to do. And When you're on the campaign trail and you're telling the folks that I'm going to fight for this, I'm going to fight for that, I'm going to fight for this, then do it. You know, some of the the emails that make me smile the most, Ken, are the people that email me say, you know, I'm so disappointed that you voted for this pro-Second Amendment bill or constitutional carry or that you voted for this pro-life bill. You're not going to get my vote. And I'm like, well, what the heck? I told you a year ago I'm going to fight for these things. So why would you be upset with me for doing what I say I'm going to do, even though you disagree, you ought to call me and say, hey, thank you for doing what you say you're going to do. I disagree with you and I hate you and I won't vote for you, but at least you did what you said you're going to do. That's why I think sometimes constituents and Americans get so tired of politics. People say things, but then they do something different. If you disagree, disagree, but at least if if somebody's going to do what they say, so do it
11: you can always get out conservative you know what i mean so let's say let's say you ought to go to jail and we all kind of agreed in here we ought to go to jail for 20 years if you commit a homicide okay and we all agree let's push this it's it's five years more than they're getting now but but brick and Ball gets in there that day and says well i think it ought to be 30 degrees 30 years oh no and you I go 35 yeah. 35 i know, want
6: a lawyer i want a good lawyer yeah
11: <laughs> and, and the next thing you know you're you're uh, accused of not voting conservatively on sentencing. You're you're not tough on crime, and that's the gotcha politics that we're playing now. And amendments are used it, it, when we've coalesced around something. These amendments are used to pick at you to get a soundbite they can throw on a mailpiece and say you're not conservative enough. So be aware of
0: that. Now, you need to be very aware of that because that's called soundbite politics. They end up on mailers and bumper stickers, and they get good people beat.
1: 843-661-0937. We'll be back in a few.
0: 843-661 takes Mondays to make Fridays. We got a call. Let's go there. Got about four minutes.
1: Bill in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. Hey good morning, gentlemen. Um, real quick, I want you
4: guys to challenge the the representation of this listening area. Because obviously I live in Sumter, you're not my representation. If you guys, when you get to Columbia, challenge them to start speaking up and coming on the radio, or or just shame them into it. It doesn't it doesn't matter to me either one. But we'd like kind of like to hear from them as well. Thank
0: you so much. You Have a great weekend. I Appreciate that. The, these guys, I, mean, I let's let's tell a secret. Um, these guys take a chance when we start accepting phone calls. I mean, they, you don't know what's coming. I mean, it may not be president of the Philip Lowe fan club. It may not be you know president of the Mike Rickard Bar J Jordan fan club. But, but I think this is what builds trust with, with people who are skeptical of government. Let's have a conversation. I think so many people hide until it's time to run again, and then they make their face known. They run ads on television. I applaud, but it's good for my business, obviously. I mean, we're a local radio show that has three members of our General Assembly come in every week. That's a big deal for Wake Up Carolina, but I think it serves you, the public, and I think it legitimizes these, you know, the three of these guys and their their willingness to come on and 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 take whatever
10: heads your way, Jake. No, you raise a good point. I think I'm going to get my mother to be on standby <laughs> to call in if it <laughs> ever get, starts going sideways. No, <laughs> no, but it's it's a part of what we do. I mean, I think it's a, 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 a obligation, probably isn't too strong a word. We we ask for people to support us and to vote for us and to send us to Columbia to to represent them, and we need to come and have a mechanism. I appreciate. You making this available for us to come in. I appreciate the folks that take time to, to call us and make it. Sometimes they they make us aware of issues. I mean, we're a this is a part time legislature, so we all have jobs and businesses and families like everybody else, and so there are, we're not aware of every single issue. So there's a lot of times that people that call in make us aware of issues, and then there's it's an opportunity for us too to make uh, the people we represent aware of the things going on in Columbia that will affect them.
11: I mean, this isn't my district. <laughs> it's the people's district. I, I express my opinion very openly. nobody really wonders where's Philip at. You know, I, I just say it. And uh, that's probably to my detriment. I, I know how to talk politics. I just choose not to. And uh, and I appreciate the listeners here and appreciate the honor of serving. Um, one day we're all judged in the end of life and I'm judged every two years. So all I can say is, is folks that differ they need to run, and we need to have an open discussion, and that's that's the system. That's the system. You're right, Mike. I was looking for the exact quote. I, unfortunately, I'll have to paraphrase it.
6: This being on this radio allows us to hear from constituents, and I think it was John Adams. You can correct me probably, but John Adams talked about the, the democracy works with an informed and educated voter. And I'm not talking educated in terms of knowing you know, physics, educated in terms of the issues and people doing what they say hearing from you especially those calling in having these discussions being able to be challenged is allows us to hear from the educated and informed voters what's on their mind what's important to them so that we can represent you in columbia it's not our columbia it's not our state senate or state house it's yours we just represent you
0: and there's some bantering off the air between these three i mean when we take our headsets off they're like Well, let me, let me tell you what kind of what I mean. It's politicking. I mean, it's, it's perpetual, um, politicking. I do want to say this. I want to get permission first. Got about a minute before we, um, get out of here. Um, next week, if the three of you are available, it is a non-political session. It's an hour of, I don't know, whatever I choose. Um, I'm going to be king for a day. It may be music. It may be sports. It may be hunting. it, it, I mean, it may be cars, but I think humanizing people adds great value. These guys aren't robots. I mean, you know, they don't go to Washington as Vulcans. I mean, they 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 live lives very similar to most of most of us. They have interests very similar to most of us. And sometimes I think we almost are programmed to expect these guys in office to not be human, to not talk about. You mean to tell me a politician listens to music? They can't. They're all no count. Sorry. You know. I mean, I I just think next week we're gonna try to take an opportunity. I got to get Rev's blessing. I mean, I don't have executive authority to that extreme. <laughs> So I got to get programmers blessing, but I think I can. Thanks to the three of you. And, um, and, and bring your, um, bring your real guy shoes next, uh, next, uh, Friday when you come and b- b- back in a minute, takes Mondays to make Fridays, eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven. There's a line in that song, tired old man. Who's been elected King. Anybody know who that is? Anybody mm-hmm. know who Don Hendler's referring to as tired old man. Who's been elected King. I mean that's not a trivia question. We'll do that in just a few in just a few moments. You know, Rev. Uh, knowing Henley is it Reagan, Ronald Reagan? Yeah, you now tired old man who's been elected king. I doubt Henley was a big fan of Reagan. Right. I'm just going out on a right. limb. Uh, here. That that was kind I'm, of what I was thinking. I'm speculating that Don Henley was not a a bundler for Ronald Reagan <laughs> back in the day when they were young. Um, but but you know, Rev. Even even in that period, I mean, th- th- there was a certain decency about the, the arguments I mean, I guess it's, um, I mean, I got a friend of mine who, who who's, I don't know Wouldn't he, he and I interacted a lot when I was in politics and he would talk about social media and he said, man, sooner or later, everybody will have a picture of themselves with no clothes out there. And it's just raw. I mean, it's in your mm-hmm. face, you know, and, um, I, I don't know if we'll get there. Hope we don't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but anyway, it's, um, we live in a very raw in your face, confrontational, um, aggressive society today. Let's go to the phone.
1: Renee in Lake City. Good
0: morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning.
13: How are you doing, Kim?
0: I am doing well. How are you doing, Renee?
13: Awesome. I was wanting to call before you had some of the um, representatives there, but I didn't make it in time. But I'd like to throw out something. Okay. Uh, pertaining to earnings limitation um, with law enforcement and South Carolina retirement system there is currently bill 4918 and it is residing in the Senate on the committee finance um, board I guess waiting to be passed and I think that was enacted last year but just trying to see about getting that push through, because we have a lot of law enforcement in our state that um, some have retired, some are um, getting out of it, and they're willing to come back. But with that limitation, it keeps them from returning. They did um, remove, I think, the earnings limitation and make it 50000 a year, um, but they've put a 12-month cap on it and the uh, piba has said that you have to be after that date of um retirement i know plenty of people including myself that have been out of work 14 months during covid and they will not allow you to uh, return
0: interesting i will pass that information along thank you renee that's a policy sp- policy specific renee's doing a little lobbying on uh, on Wake Up Carolina on this Friday morning, doing a little lobbying about a particular bill and legislation. I-, I want to give you some advice. The general public would look up a bill via the website, Senate Bill 4918, House Bill 337. I mean, having been in Columbia and presided over the Senate, it's the heartbeat bill. It's the it's the it's the law enforcement pay bill. It's the, I mean, they pick up these nicknames. They get it in subcommittee. Uh, they'll, they'll start working through the the legislation. Philip will have an opinion. Mike will have an opinion. Jay will have an opinion. The public will have an opinion. All of that goes into the um the devil's brew that is making the sausage that we know as American politics. But but at some point in time, somebody calls this um you know the radio bill, the gamecock bill, the tiger bill. I mean, some of the joint bond review board. Uh, I remember some of the bonding issues when I was up there working through the Senate. And and I remember two senators in particular. No, that's the tiger bill. You're talking about the gamecock bill, because the universities were trying to bond money to you know uh, build buildings and I mean they've got their own money and they've got access to capital, but but some of the um some of the bonding issuances had to be vetted by the joint bond review board, and there was some entanglement or entanglement it had uh, between the Senate. So it would be I mean it was just kind of humorous to me. Nobody said Senate Bill 477. It was the uh, it was the gamecock bill. <laughs> Or it was the you know the uh, I mean the, the 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 high school bill, uh, the the kindergarten bill. I mean that's just I'm not saying it's the right or wrong way to do it, but most of those guys refer to bills as nicknames, nicknames. Yeah. and by the time they get to the um to the body, they're, they're known as the heartbeat bill, um the tax
1: decree, the gas bill. Would anybody do that for a a, a political advantage? You know, of course name course you it could. something. Well, to I mean, make we it- named
0: Obamacare,
1: right? Right. I mean, we we did. We we named the
0: Affordable Care Act. Uh, I mean well, the I'm thinking about name. the
1: the Florida the don't say gay bill yeah which don't. which wasn't at all don't say gay Well, I
0: mean right? it, it, words mean something right i mean in in yeah. that in that world, words mean a lot, so if you can um you know if you can say this is the um you know the 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 school teachers want more money bill then then it's the school you know I mean somebody wins that debate i mean they, they, yeah but there there's a debate about the um the, the publicity of the bill and what the public perceives of this legislation to be about. And um, I mean, I'm reading a lot this week about public school performance. I mean, I've read a good beat trying to get ready for next week about um, we're having a decline in public education, and by that I mean by every metric you can you can be made available. Public education. I didn't say every school, um, Dr. O'Malley. I said most schools across the country are seeing a pretty significant decline in um, competence. And you look at some of the proficiency scores; um, you, they're just not doing, they're not performing as well. And I'm doing a lot of reading and some of the public re, uh, public school review material, uh, February 2023. There's actually something called the, um, uh, it might be the Massachusetts public school review. Uh, it talks about school safety and technology and charter schools and vouchers and uh, problems with Common Core curriculum. But but at the end of the day they're talking about whether or not teachers need to be paid more. And teachers are getting increases in pay when we're having decreases in student population. And as a business person, that's interesting to me. I didn't say teachers need to make more money. I didn't say teachers need to make less money. I just said we're seeing a pretty precipitous decline in the number of kids going to public school, and we're seeing an increase in pay of the teachers that teach in in public schools. What do I make of that? I don't know yet. Give me a week. I'll read more about it, become somewhat
1: more informed. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning.
0: Hey, good morning. Hey, Ken, what do
3: you think uh, Don Henley felt when old Reagan lowered his tax rate from about 70% to 30%? <laughs> he probably, he probably <laughs> I, didn't hate I, him I, that much. I guess uh, I guess that gave him an uh, opportunity to become his own artist or whatever. That was back in the old Linda Ronstadt Jerry Brown days. Yep. Um, let me ask you this. This Volkswagen plant, is it going to be in Blythewood? Yeah. I mean, I don't think Somewhere it's in-, in. I see Richland County. I, I see that. See, I, I'm thinking, I see something said Blackwood. I remember I used to go out and visit people out in Blythewood back in the day, and not going there was only about 900 people there, and I think there's about 5,000 people n- now. But uh, to la uh, some people that look at everything as politics, uh, Richland County is a Democrat county. So, all right, they're, they're putting money in a Democrat county. But you guys remember this song, Dude look Like a Lady? Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Man, when that person came out on stage the other day, and who was that that had to kiss him? Or I don't know. There was a man that had to kiss him. Jill, One no, the, Jill Biden
0: kissed the dude that was supposed to be the woman And the so year. did,
1: was it Blinken? Was he there? I think Blinken, Blinken may have or kissed Stone the dude. Or somebody kissed Blinken. him in the cheek, I think.
0: That was cute. I'm telling you, man, that,
3: that blows my mind. And, and, and here's, this is all political because you remember back in, in that 2000 election when, I guess, Bush won by seven or 800 votes? I mean, you get down to it. I mean, we talk about these days where you might win a state by 12,000 to win a state. And I'm telling you, the Ron claims to the world, they they started digging into things. I said, man, you know, if we could only got – because in Florida, there's probably about 100,000 people that are LGBTQ. I hate to even say – it's hard for me to remember that. Uh, but they're like, we got to get them out to vote. And, and on a personal level, I mean, when I was in college, um, a senior, my buddies, he came up and he said, man, that, that bathroom there at the Russell house, there are some, I guess you would call them G people and hang out there. I said, okay. I mean, all right. So it's not like I wanted to blow the place up or, or you know, hurt somebody. Uh I worked at a restaurant in college. We had, I guess, the person would be a T on that list. the person, I remember the name, the name was Trixie. Trixie was a dishwasher. Uh, I, I can assure you this. If Trixie went out to that parking lot and somebody started to bother that person, we would have all defended that person. So it's not like they try to bring these things up and get emotional. Nobody wants to hurt these people. I mean, I'm not going to go try to blow their house. It's not that Virginia election where these guys are riding around pickup trucks wanting to hunt down Muslim people. So when 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 that's your only way to win in these close states, man, your message is getting sad. And y'all have a good weekend.
0: Thank you, David. Appreciate it. I want to say this. I mean, David's talking about you know. I mean, I I was born in 1963, and. I mean, and I mean this sincerely. The majority of my life is being limited. I have always read about the world I didn't know anything about. I mean, that was—I mean, I grew up in a town with no stoplight, right? I mean, that's the name of our podcast, "No Stoplights." Uh, it's kind of a tribute and, uh, and kind of a—I um, don't some somewhat of a um, an indication of the way I see the world. I am a product of the rural South. I'm I'm unapologetically rural. I'm unapologetically Southern. But I've never hated anybody for anything. It, it's interesting to me how some of these think tankish sorts and some of these wonkish um, people believe they've got me figured out. I've always felt the only advantage I had over them is I know in my heart I understand them better than they understand me. The um, the, the pedigreed graduate of Yale gets a, you know a highfalutin job as a college professor. And he begins teaching and lecturing to young people about the rural South. He's never set foot in the rural South, but but he's read some things. And I mean, a think tank uh, may have done some. Re- so, so so when when I opine on the liberal elite, I think I'm fairly informed, and maybe a lot of his gut instinct. I mean, I depend on that a lot, so I could be wrong. No no question about it. But but in in, in the scholarly way imaginable, some of these. Some of these folks think they have people like me figured out, and they believe I had a lot of vitriol in my heart, a lot of anger and resentment, globalism and interventionism. I'm not angry at anybody. I'm angry at a lot of things. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that, that we you know, recognize a man, a biological male as female of the year, and, and the Secretary of State you know, kisses a dude on the cheek as a result of that. I mean, the, the, the America that I love— Blinken would have said, I ain't doing that now. I mean, I, I'm not doing that. I mean, I get it. I mean, maybe I'm old-fashioned, and, and maybe the times have passed me by, and as the great Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing. I just didn't know they would change that much. Um, But I would. I mean, I'd be the kind of say, I'm not doing that. I, mean, I But but I wouldn't punch the person. You know, I may shake their hand, and, and I'd probably, knowing me, I'd probably say, Congratulations, sir. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I would have some degree of sarcasm. Right. I'm sure it's part of that.
1: I don't know. Blinken didn't look very comfortable being that. I, video. Mean,
0: I, I don't say I is. I don't want to read into that. But so I've often wondered, what if there was a button on all of our foreheads that that when pressed, the absolute unfettered, unfiltered truth came out? Because <laughs> the look on Blinken's face, to your point, was, "I'm a liberal, and I'm an academic." And I'm a bureaucrat, but this may be a bridge too far. <laughs> Kissing this dude, in other words, I'm going to do my my sworn duty as Secretary of State to honor this person who is being honored. It's not my job to pick, you know, who gets the award or not. It's my job to do the the ceremonial blessing uh, from the um, you know, from from the executive branch. But uh, it's a little bit weird to me. You know, you just wonder if you could get to the to remember the um the bracelets that Wonder Woman had hmm yeah did she have one or two bracelets i don't remember you remember what i'm talking about no she had a rope she had like a, a lasso, lasso. A truth lasso a lasso yeah okay i mean when you think of wonder woman what do you think lasso <laughs> no you don't <laughs> do you don't. okay you think of the silhouette right yeah okay yeah. i just i'm mean, making sure you're a dude right um but 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 I, I no I w- I invisible go, airplane and too. i'm rambling but i'm but i'm trying to get somewhere so 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 i am the guy I mean, I, I, I'm the prototypical Southern rural white male. I'm the guy that's supposed to be angry about everything. And and I, I'm to the point that I will storm the Capitol. I'll bomb an abortion clinic. None of that crosses my mind. I mean, I think Jeff and I, as much as we fundamentally disagree on what the world should look like, I think Jeff and I could drink a beer. And when we leave there, he'd, he'd like me a little more. And I'd probably like him a little more. But, but, But you're asking me not to debate what the marginal tax rate should be or whether or not we should invest in green energy. You're asking me to basically go along with some of these outrageous and abnormal, and I think, Rev, perverted and distorted worldviews. Once again, I believe I'm right on taxes. I think I'm right on public education. I think I'm right when I say that the funding mechanism of higher education is a scam. A complete and total con job perpetrated by business and and, and government against the American people. Primarily the American working class. But but I'll debate you on that. But all of a sudden you're asking me as a rural southern white male to debate whether a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And and I'm just not going there. But I don't get angry about it. I get defensive about it. And I get motivated by it. And as more and more of these things come along and we're having to address in, you know, in, in, in kind of a, um, I mean, it's pretty odd. Are we even having this debate? I mean, how many times have you said that? How many times have I, are we really going to have this debate?
1: Right.
0: I mean, a nine-year-old entering a medical contract to have his or her sex changed. Are we really going to have that debate? Well, yes. I mean, there's an element in America that is going to require, insist that we do have that debate in a respectful fashion. It doesn't anger me. It does frustrate me, but it motivates me more than anything to try and convince so many of you listening to not be ashamed of believing it is abnormal, it is evil, it is perverted, it is such a distorted um, way of the world. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. It is time for our Takes Mondays. Well, any time on Monday or Friday, we've decided it's our time for Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. You ready? It's kind of an interesting question. We taught a little music. Now, the right answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product, a couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. Here's the question. In the the vein of music, what Harvard-educated guitarist is best known for his work with the band Rage Against the Machine? He's also become kind of an unofficial member of the E Street Band. Harvard-educated guitarist Best known for his work with Rage Against the Machine, who is now kinda sorta become an unofficial member of the East Street Band. Not on this tour, but on the previous two tours, this guy was a very instrumental outsider. Um, as they got older, I think they needed some young blood <laughs> to, to kind of keep the band. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, combination to, uh, to keep the band awake that late at night. But anyway, who is that? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven.
1: Hi, you're on. You know the answer. Is it Tom
0: Morello? Tom Morello is a Harvard-educated guitarist, best known for his work with Rage Against the Machine, and I have no idea how he and Bruce hooked up, but I've seen some YouTube videos with Morello, and he says, um, when Steve Van Zandt, thank you for the call, who is this, and where you call him from?
12: It's Robin from Florence. All
0: right, my man, hang on for just a couple of minutes. We'll get you back to, um, to Rev. He'll get all the information, and we'll tell you how you pick up your Pepsi products and your, your T-shirts. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Um, can I say this, Rev? they're going to be part of our podcast yeah, moving forward. Um, I think you've seen some product placement on some of the uh, some of the podcasts we've already or some of the um some of the podcast experimentation we've tried um thus far. We're going to get better, trust me. And um and uh, and thanks for the call. But no, Morello is um I mean just, just a, an unbelievable guitarist. And um I think if I'm not mistaken um, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and you know, don't hold me to this, but at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, uh, several years gone by, Bruce performed The Ghost of Tom Jode. And Morello let Springsteen know that he was a big fan of The Ghost of Tom Jode and asked if he could join him. And Bruce said, of course you can. I mean, this is kind of what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is about. It's kind of jamming together. And Morello and Springsteen did a sound check and Rev Springsteen was blown away. And he said, wow, I mean, you know, I thought I could play the guitar, (laughs) but this dude goes to another, an extreme level. And the next thing you know, it goes from the ghost of Tom Jode, uh, Miami Steve Van Zant had to honor a contract with my, remember he's on Sopranos and all these other things and he was not able to be readily available at all times and Morello filled in. And I think he added kind of a new blood to to the E Street Band and even when Van Zant got back Bruce said, "Hey, you know, we we got a place for you as long as you want to play here with us." But but it began with, from what I understand, it began with the um the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Morello playing The Ghost of Tom Jode. Go on YouTube. I mean if you're a Morello fan, forget Springsteen, I get it. But if you're a Morello fan or if you're if you're a um a guitarist, a fan of great guitarists Go on YouTube. Um, YouTube, I, I guess it'd be Springsteen Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Ghost of Tom Jode, and Morello lights it up. Now, on his guitar, it says Arm the Homeless. Um, <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah. Arm the Homeless. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was a good idea, but he's a um, he's a social crusader, much like um, Springsteen. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's go to the phone.
1: Bert in Florence. Good morning.
14: I just had a Thought crossed my head, and it just just because you were talking about these. Cross your head or cross
0: and, your mind, Bert? Did it cross your head uh, or cross your mind?
14: Well, I, it, it crossed my head and okay. sprinkled a little bit in my mind. <laughs> but uh, fair enough. You know, you're, you're talking about the 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 conversation they're forcing us to have before their children can have these operations, sign these contracts. You know, years ago when the newspaper was still a thing, I'd see these ads. Gay curious. And after that they started saying, Oh, we were born this way. We we just were gay, which was crap. They they were experimenting, okay. Then you you go on up and suddenly, oh, um, we're a lesbian couple, or we're a gay couple, we're we're out and about, you know, gay pride became a big thing. And it kept going up and that, that was a fad. It wasn't they were born that way, it was a fad. It was the new trinket to wear on your finger, you know, because the gay marriages they just don't tend to last they don't last very long but they're proud while they've got it then they go up and uh, you know they went through a phase where everybody and their brother was adopting a little black baby from Africa it was a fad it was a trinket this is nothing but the latest trinket that these you know usually rich white women go through these phases I don't know if they're bored or what But somehow society pushes them into these little phases. Now, all of a sudden, I just saw a video the other day of this little boy talking about how he's really a little girl. And he just never felt right as a little boy. And he couldn't have been nine years old. He couldn't have been. And his mother was in the background mouthing every word this little boy said. She had clearly taught him exactly how to say these words. And she was mouthing it like a stage mother. So what we have is an epidemic of bored housewives or bored white women that have nothing else to do but put their latest little thing on their kids. In fact, if you remember a while, we had a problem with kids being rushed to the hospital because their mothers were literally causing them health problems, poisoning them to get the attention of, oh, my baby's in the hospital. We have a fad of bored women. That's what we have.
0: Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. 843 O nine three seven and I've accepted and I want to be careful with my words here. I've accepted that the way I want things to be just isn't the way things are going to be. I mean I've accepted as a as a rural Southern male um of a certain generation and a certain mindset, I've accepted that the world's going to be different than the way I wish it was. I mean, I've also suggested that if I were to win a hundred million dollar lottery, I'd find a place more suited. To my likings, I don't want to be mad with people. I don't want people to be mad uh, with me. It's probably why I'm uh, not not as social as I once was. I mean, in my political days, obviously you got to be social. Everything about that world's transactional, shaking hands, and uh, you know what I mean. It's just kind of um, can you do this for me? Well, can you do this for me? I mean, the whole world's about about that. So 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 I I mean I am totally understanding that I am. I mean, when I tell my wife, and she she'll admit to this, I, I told her. Recently, more times than you can imagine, I-, I was born 100 years too late. And she says, 100? <laughs> You're being mighty generous to yourself there. <laughs> Probably 300 years um, too late. But-, but I'm not, I don't wish any ill on anybody, Rev. The one problem I have with some of these, you know, issues that Bert discussed is I'm, I'm being almost demanded to normalize it. I don't hate gay people. I don't hate transgenders. I mean, I was raised to not hate anybody. I mean, it really and truly, a gay person beside the road with a flat tire, a straight person beside the road with a flat tire. I don't care. I ain't stopping to read the one up. Um, <laughs> but 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 in all reality, I'm I'm, I'm I'm being forced. It's a little bit like i'll I'll give you my generation as an example. Some of you younger ones will laugh at this. So when Boy George and Culture Club, became mainstream me and my cadre of friends thought he was doing it to get the attention i mean we, we just thought that was so bizarre <laughs> and i mean people in manhattan would say oh, he's gay i mean he's a he's a gay man it's pretty obvious he's a gay man and we're like oh, he's just doing
1: all. oh, that oh he just dressing up character hey, he's just dressing like
0: that trying to be a get, attention, get attention set a and, bunch of records yeah. you know th- those people don't exist well i mean i've learned better i mean i, I I've, I've evolved i've adopted you know, I've accepted you, that the you world— You listened to
1: Karma Chameleon, didn't well,
0: you? Yeah, I did. Um, Culture Club was pretty cool back in the day. Um, yeah. But, but, but the, the, the media and the elites and the establishment and the liberals are trying to convince the world that people like me wish ill on those people. We, we want to, you know, abolish, just abolish their behavior and admonish them to, to wear— No, I don't—but you can't ask me to normalize those things. I mean, you can't ask me to normalize a man marrying a man. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it really and truly doesn't. I mean, it, you know, two consenting adults. Now, I could debate. You know, they were hung up on that word marriage because marriage has a, a kind of a biblical connotation, and what civil union was not good enough. You know, um, some sort of um, other word. No, marriage meant something to people of faith. It's a covenant from God. So they they didn't. I mean, they didn't. Att- they didn't say civil unions aren't good enough because civil unions aren't good enough. They said civil unions aren't good enough because marriage is the word that they knew would would, would get a, an emotional response and some sort of resistance. And we've had that debate, same-sex marriage. I mean, civil unions, what's wrong with that? Well, I mean, that's not an assault on biblical worldviews. Marriage, let's got to change that word. You know how those Neanderthal Christians are. And, 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 and the point I'm... You, you can't force me to normalize those things. I've accepted. I mean, if I didn't accept, I'd be miserable. If, if every homosexual, every same-sex marriage, everything like that irked me to the point, I mean, I'd be in a cave somewhere. I mean, I wouldn't come out. I would be Ted Kaczynski, probably. But I've accepted that the world is different, that, that the way I wish things were are not the way they're going to be. But but now, all of a sudden, that's not good enough. Ken and his people have accepted but we demand that they normalize. We demand that they look at this marriage just like they look at another marriage. Pete Buttigieg and his husband, I don't know if you saw this or not. I mean, they're sitting in a, in a hospital bed with a baby and they've got these bracelets on as if they're patients. Well, I mean, wh- why is that? I mean, I, th- I thought about this. You know, so so uh, there's a picture out there floating around. I mean, it's not Photoshopped, it's real. It's Buttigieg and his husband holding a small child and they've got these bracelets on like they had a baby. I mean, nobody
1: had a baby. Obviously, neither one of them gave birth.
0: But, but, but the, the the but what they're trying to do, Rev, is if a woman had gone to the hospital and had a child, she would have an identity bracelet. I mean, the hospital would have a number, the case, and all this, right. you know, a paper trail to keep up with what she owes once everything settles up and what kind of medicine she gets. Saying, you know, where I'm headed. But, but, but you know, Buddha Buttigieg and his husband are sitting there with a baby in tow, a, a small child, and I wish nothing but the best for them, and I mean this. But but the, the, the bracelet was trying to convince the public that one's a dad and one's a mom. And that's not true. That's impossible to be true. Neither one should have a bracelet on. But they want, to look, they want me and you to look at those two men and that child in the same way we would look at a woman, a man, and a child. And damn it, I refuse to do that. And I don't think I'm closed-minded. I don't think I'm shallow. I do know I'm stubborn. And I'm not accepting that as normal. I'll accept it as real. I'll accept it as part of modern and woke and politically correct society, but but I'm not accepting it as normal. The normal family is a man, a woman, and 2.3 children. That's the normal nuclear family unit. I will accept that we've redefined marriage, but I'm not going to normalize it because you choose, kind of attack my worldview, and my, um, my way of life. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. When the market is getting smoked again today, is the um, I guess the, the realities of the Fed and their monetary policy really beginning to impact or affect. I think they've always believed, and I'm talking about the investment class, they've always believed the Fed would blink, and it looks to me like Jerome Powell is not going to blink. Um, he's going to stay steadfast in trying to address inflation by raising rates. I have no idea. How much higher he goes some of the job numbers are real confusing there seems to be a sound and strong labor environment out there it's contradictory to when you raise rates you have high inflation the economy normally responds a certain way this economy is not and it leads i guess the investing class to believe that they're not going to take their foot off the gas pedal um in the name of raising rates to try and curtail inflation or control inflation which will probably lead to an increase in employment. I mean, we would imagine if you believe some of the um, some of the realities of of economic theory. Uh, is is perversion a word? I mean, if, I think so. okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it's. A, I mean, this is yeah. an obvious answer. I yeah. mean, perversion is a word. Yeah. So if allowing a a a fifth grader to sign a medical contract to have their sex changed is that? I mean, if that's not perverted. Then perversion's not a word. Let's just take gotcha. that page out of the dictionary. I mean that there is no perversion. I mean, if we're going to allow a child that young to decide whether they want to be a boy or a girl, and that's not perverted, then let's just agree. Let's all agree right now that the word perverted no longer exists in society and culture. Let's go to the phone.
1: Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike.
15: Uh would you give that child a a carry permit? Would you uh, allow him to uh carry a nine millimeter fully loaded uh with him to school and back? Would you do that? I don't know uh I don't think so. not even in the country would you do such a thing and that that's just craziness on the on the base of it but as far as uh, jerome powell or whatever he, he he's doing there. I I knew three years ago these people weren't trying to keep the ship in the channel away from the rocks. They were pilot, They were piloting that ship straight for the rocks, and they're they're bound and determined to put this country and this whole
0: world in an economic crisis. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. But but it's confusing when you look at the payroll number today. Payrolls rose three hundred eleven thousand in February. I mean, that's many more than expected. So that's, I mean, that's a sign of growth. But, but you've got the Fed raising rates. You've got high levels of inflation. And that's why it's so confusing. And here, look, guys, I'm not an economist. Take what I say for what it's worth. But, but I see it, and I wish we could go back and archive this. And, and I, I've been fairly consistent on this. You can't dump that much liquidity into an economy and expect to sort it out under normal circumstances i mean i understand the ebbs and flows of economic activity i understand the feds activism or not i understand all that i mean i think there's historical data that shows you know if you do x y happens but we had no historical precedent to dumping that much liquidity into an economy in that little bit of period of time it was unprecedented and it's almost like we never wanted to admit that i mean there were 6.3 trillion dollars created out of thin air in a couple of years now i understand that the fed is on quantitative tightening uh, right now i understand we're raising interest rates i understand that they're, they're they're trying to um lessen their balance sheet with mortgage-backed securities and i mean a lot of government bonds but I, mean, I, I get all that i understand that that's what they normally do to address inflation but have they ever had to deal with 6.3 trillion dollars of liquidity dumped into economy in, in, in two years. And, and I, I just think we're learning the hard way that that much macroeconomic stimulus is going to be unlike any we've ever tried to deal with in human history. And it doesn't look like we're doing a good job of it. It, it does not. I don't think it's Jerome Powell's fault. I think Powell made a big mistake in believing you could leave interest rates that cheap and let the fed's, fed's balance sheet stay that inflated for that long a period of time. But Jerome Powell did not appropriate money. I mean, Jerome Powell absorbed some of the debt, right? I mean, when 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 the government appropriates money, because the CARES Act, American Rescue Plan, CARES II, uh, the debt's floating around out there. There's that there's some public demand, but there's still some that the public said thank you, but no thank you. And the Fed acts as a buyer of that debt. So Jerome Powell did what a Treasury Secretary uh, normally does, or excuse me, a Fed Chairman normally does, Secretary Janet Yellen. Um, but but I don't think we I don't think we understood the amount of money we're dealing with. I mean, it's it's, it's a a tremendous amount from one to two trillion. I mean, a trillion dollars is an unfathomable amount of money. We took $6.3 trillion and said, here, have at it. And we did. And we are. And we've got inflation through the roof. We've got some of the fastest interest rate hikes we've ever had. And payrolls rose. By 311,000 in February, showing solid economic growth. Figure that out. You can't accept $6.3 trillion. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.